Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TetraCast. It's a brand new year. It's 2022, and we're back to talk about our favorite genre of video games with you all here once again. My name is Brian Vitale, and we've got the usual crew back in a new year and a new month ready to kick things off once again. We've got Josh Torres. New year, old me. We've got Adam Vitale. Hello. We've got James Galizio. I was going to make a joke about something, but then we had to have an overtake. Oh, and then we've got uh, Chow Min Wu. Hello. So uh, by the time you all are listening to this, it'll be a week and change into 2022. It's been a little less than a month since our last regular episode of the podcast. Obviously, we all had our own holiday break. And just up a, a couple of days ago, as of the time of recording, we did also upload our TetraCast special episode for our Game of the Year podcast, which is about six and a half hours of basically our deliberations that go into making the decisions that we made on our end of year slate for 2021. Uh, and that's probably what we're going to be talking about a little bit, at least as kind of like a reflection of uh, for the first part of this podcast. Obviously, since it's been, you know, three and a half weeks since we've met, there's been a lot of news. You know, we have all the things that we discussed at the end of the year podcast. Uh, we've got a few features up on the site besides the end of the year features. So uh, we're going to start out just kind of reflecting on that, just kind of talking about how that experience was, the decisions that we made. And then we're going to go into kind of like all the stuff that we missed. Some of the stuff is new news. Some of the stuff is stuff that's been announced for a while, but we kind of want to get a give a spot to talk about here. So this uh, as a kickoff episode for the year, this might be feel a little different. I feel feel a little bit more loose, but uh, I think we're OK with that as we kind of, you know, get our feet back under us. So. Uh, in the last couple of days, we've put up three major features up on the uh, on the site. What these features are are our best of 2021 awards, basically the equivalent of our game of the year picks. We've got our reader's choice in detail feature, and we have our most anticipated RPGs for this year. So I think that's kind of a good slate to run through in that order. Obviously, we're not just going to retread ground, but just kind of go through and say well, how we felt about the experience, the decisions we made, and all sorts of that that stuff. Uh, so I'm going to hand it off, I guess, uh, just to pick someone. Just Josh, how how are you feeling after our our six and a half hours of deliberation a few weeks back? Uh, I'm alive. I made it through. Yeah, we all, we all survived. <laughs> like uh, the, the six and a half hours thing was uh, basically after like cleaning it up because, you know, we had some breaks in there. So like the real recording was like a little bit over seven hours, I believe. Right. Yeah, so I got trimmed was, down. In, in it, it, was fun, it was funny because we were using the new Discord plan event feature for this. So everyone knew the date and time. And then like when I was making the description for that, I was like, you know, just set aside. Uh, I was like thinking of like a like a like a high number, just like a number you never really reach. I was like, mm, like set aside like around five hours of your time. And it was like, make sure you have snacks, water, drinks, whatever, whatever you need to survive at least five hours. And lo and behold, you know, we fucking blew past that by over two hours of that. And it's like, well, well, what are we going to do like this year then? It's like set aside at least maybe seven hours. <laughs> so, well, it's, it um, seems like each year we do this, we kind of come up with like, yeah, next year we'll just tweak this thing and that'll help keep things efficient and fast. Uh, yeah. So the way that we do our tiered, uh, our tiered, rankings was initially conceived as sort of a way to to not have to like get a number one and a runner-up in a third place we just do the top five top ten and a winner and then we kind of pick one for these commendations but then what ends up happening is that we have these hour-long discussions about what's number 10 and number 11 or what's number five and six or we end up saying what was a better remaster saga or near replicant and it just 
it is uh, if you look at the timestamps, uh, unlike 2020, where we ended up talking about, I think it was writing a narrative for an hour and a half. In this case, it was just like every single section took 50 minutes or an hour. It was just a very evenly paced, slow, arduous podcast. Well, I mean, but I'll tell you this, like, I think the 2021 podcast has been like one of our best game of the year podcasts we've ever done, like hands down, because everything felt so fully fleshed out. Like nothing was like, well, maybe aside from like best ongoing support where we joked about that for forever. But other than that, all the other categories and even like narrowing down the top 10, like they were all well-balanced discussions. Everyone had like something to contribute. And like, it was one of those things that we thought really hard about it. And, you know, weigh the pros and cons. And we're like, yeah, we can come you know, together and agree on this. Like, it was like, it, there, there was no category besides ongoing support that we're, we were like, eh, well, it wasn't really that great. Like, especially, like, I think, like, 2021, like, one, one of the best years for music uh, for, for our site, you know? Like, that was a really packed list. And the, the way we did it, I think, was well done. Yeah, so uh, obviously we have our written feature on the site, which delineates our seven, I believe, category winners, and then our our tiered top 10, top five, and winner. And basically our podcast episode, the Tetracast special, is kind of an accompaniment to that, to basically say, like, you, by the time you listen to that, you'll already know who won the categories because they're written out right there. Um, I guess unless you just listen to the podcast from your from your phone app or something and don't read the article. But uh, it kind of depends on whether you want it to be spoiled or not. I don't know if there's really that much consideration for it. Uh, obviously, uh, the elephant in the room here is what we ended up picking as our overall winner. Uh, so kind of some shades of uh, 2019, where we ended up picking up Saga Scarlet Grace as kind of like an un- unexpected, maybe unorthodox winner for our RPG of the year. This year, we ended up picking Fantasian. And I don't want to go too much in detail about like why we did that, because that's what the podcast is for. And also, we've talked about Fantasian a fair number of times on these on this very podcast in the last year. But uh, like James, just how do you feel about us having come to that decision, ending up being like our final winner for the year? Uh, I honestly, it still feels weird because I definitely, it, it definitely deserves it. But it's like, man, it was one of those things we're going into it. We didn't really think it. I honestly didn't really think it had a chance of taking the top spot. And then it just kind of happened. Yeah, I remember commenting like when we were making the, some very difficult decisions about what belonged to the top five, we just kind of said like Fantasian's probably there. Yeah, it is. And then it just kind of sat there safe while we discussed like, does Lost Judgment belong? Does Noja belong? Does, you know, uh, does Neo belong or whatever? And it just kind of like Fantasian was just kind of like biding its time just in the safe zone. And then by the time we had to pick a winner, it's like, well, Fantasian's sitting right there. Does it deserve it? And we all kind of just nodded our heads and went with it. So it was it, it felt like the right choice at the time, and it feels like the right choice now. It's just like what you said going in when we started that, you know, six six hours prior to making that decision. I don't think any of us were really expecting it to be there. But just after the discussion, it kind of seemed like it belonged there. I guess when we were thinking, it's like, it's just not like a very well-known game. And people are probably thinking, if it's not really well-known, it's like, does it deserve that spot? You know, it's like every game deserves a spot, you know? Yeah, there. You know, obviously, it's a popularity contest. Obviously, uh, because the way we do our deliberations, where we don't pull our whole staff, we have a discussion amongst who's available for the podcast, and if anyone's able to leave like comments or or write ups ahead of time, that that's how we came to our decision. And we had five people on out of the seven present, I believe, that had uh, no, it's more than seven. We had five people out of the cast present that had played it and all had enjoyed it to some extent. For some, it was our favorite of the year, and for some, it was like. 
in our top three and just across the podcast, across the averages, it just ended up no one had anything bad to say about it. And we had, you know, people who felt less strongly about Shin Megami Tensei or or less strongly about Neil the World Ends With You. And then just Fantasian didn't have that that pullback. So it ended up kind of just surpassing everything and just kind of quietly sat and said, I belong here. And no one had anything else to say about it. Yeah. So when you have a small group of people all opinionated discussing stuff like this, all the other like top contenders had at least one person basically more negative on it or Fantasian, nobody was like negative on it. Like we all liked it to some degree. So it kind of just won, like you said, just by kind of like average where it had none of that had no detractors. So no detractors. No detractors the, and the fact that it had five people present for it. Cause mm-hmm. like Lost Judgment was sort of similar, but it just didn't have nearly the amount of support behind it in terms of people who had played it. So is it completely fair? No, it's not. And we're like, I'm honest enough to recognize that, but we can't just require that everyone plays every game. I mean, that's why it's RPG site's favorite of the year, you know? Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, Fantasia doesn't have any flaws. It definitely does. But Mm -hmm. it's like one of those things that like when people are thinking about like weighing what they dislike about Fantasia versus like what they dislike about some of the other games. So the other games on that top five just had like more, they felt more strongly about Fantasian pulling ahead because they the overall experience uh, was enough for it to be a pl- pleasant enough to overlook or you know forget some of its flaws versus some of the other games that have like uh, one thing or one aspect about it that was like it really just like dragged it down. I think that was like the the, the ongoing theme for this year in that top five. And as we post the results of that, as well as the results of our readers most anticipated, I did see a few like you know, some musings or some comments about, you know, stuff that didn't place or stuff that didn't win. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei five ended up winning our, our reader's choice poll as their favorite RPG of 2021. And I think it was kind of like, that would have been the safe pick or maybe the expected pick. And it came close. It, it, it's in our top five. And I feel like it was another game that, you know, had things gone differently. It might've ended up on top. Uh, but then also there's people talking about stuff that was absent from the list entirely. Uh, Bravely Default 2 didn't make the top 10. Uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous didn't make the top 10. It's kind of like the, uh, the the Western RPG's big big footprint for the year. But those also just kind of fell on, you know, people who thought less less highly of them. Chow for Bravely Default 2. Or, you know, Pathfinder only had one person to defend it, me, and didn't really push for it to be in the top 10. Uh, so that's kind of, again, just goes back to our results are basically a reflection of who was present at the death time of the podcast and the discussions that were made to kind of substantiate our list. So Yeah, I think, I think the, the reader's uh, choice uh, is a really interesting list because Disco Elysium, once again, was able to make that top 10 list, I think, in the top... 10 for 2019 i checked the other day it like ranked at sixth for the reader's choice in that one and like and like that's cool that like disco lisa was able to still place you know two years apart from its original release you know on that list um and i think that some of the ones that like really caught me off guard was like i didn't know that we had like such a big support for like east nine you know for for that top 10 uh on the reader's choice so it's a really interesting reader's choice this year yeah, it's there's there's some places where we look at our readers' choice and we see where we jive and where we align, but then also like they had Tales of Arise second and we had it what ninth or I guess we don't rank the bottom five, but it was it was kind of like one of the last couple to get into our top ten, and it's just kind of you know a larger pool of people making those decisions and also that's influenced by uh, who you know the visibility of the poll 
and things like that. I think some we had a few we had a few publishers kind of retweet our socials about voting in the poll. So that obviously affects uh, who votes and who sees it and who, you know, who's made aware of it. But it's always interesting to compare and contrast those. And obviously, we uh, we we respect both kind of results equally. That's why even in our end of the year picks, we very clearly write where each game ended up, both in our picks and in our readers' picks. So, in some- uh, what, what what really uh, is cool about this year is I think Adam mentioned this is that this year was the largest turnout we've ever had for a readers' choice poll. I believe. Yeah, I don't think there, there was there. I think there was a poll like before Adam was conducting those that he can't verify completely the numbers. But our social following has grown since like 2016, 2017. Yeah, like, so I it's have, like ostensibly. Go ahead. Yeah, I haven't had a, I didn't do the polling like before like 2016, but we also had like literally like less than half our Twitter followers then. So it's like I'm betting we have more. Um, but ever since I've done the polling in the last few years, it's we this is the highest turnout. But uh, yep. yeah, can you give us like some rough estimates of like what's the what are the number what the turnout was this year versus some uh, figures like last year or something? I, so if, in terms of raw numbers, I think last year we had like slightly shy of two thousand votes, mm-hmm. and this year we had more than three thousand votes. So you know, thirty three percent jump or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big big jump. That's cool. And it was actually uh, the tightest results we've had, I think, since conducting the poll. Where Shin Megami uh, Tensei Five beat out Tales of Arise by like five percentage it, it points. Was the, it was the tightest since 2016. If you remember, in 2016, our top two games in the reader poll were Final Fantasy 15 and uh, Trails of Cold Steel 2, and it only won by like one percent. Final Fantasy. Oh, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't remember that. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, did yeah. uh did the new Trails game make the uh? Oh no, that would have been most and most anticipated. So the readers poll there was, was no parts. technically there, there, in terms of games released this year. There was a port, but there was no Trails game released this year in English. Like right, yeah, and, and then Trail and then and Trails of Zero did place on our readers' most anticipated list uh, behind some heavy yes. hitters like uh, Final Fantasy Sixteen, Elden Ring, and Walker. Oh, it's really and, funny to talk about that because as a new release, like yes, it is technically a new release coming out, you know, this year, but it's like it is such an old game too. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the most anticipated, I think the one that really caught me off guard was Digimon Survive in that. Like, there's so, there's so many people that still, you know, we don't, like we know so little. Year. Yeah, we know so little about it. Maybe we'll say, well, there's a Digimon event soon, so hopefully we'll get new info. But mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully this is the year we see that. I've, I'm really interested in seeing more about it. After, especially after playing through Cyber Sleuth, I'm like, all right, Digimon is cool again, I guess. And the final feature that went up on the site uh, in terms of end of the year listing is our staff picks for our most anticipated uh, 2022 RPGs. And last year, our most anticipated games, I believe, were Rise and Bravely Default 2. And then, like, neither of those did very well. So we we are... Because we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast, like, you know, we're looking forward to Rise's PC port coming out. You know, you know, this will be your first time getting to Rise. And then I have a lot of friends, you know, who made it for the PC version of Rise. And I was like, thinking, I was like, why didn't Rise make our top 10? <laughs> I try to remember it. I, I just, it's one of those things like, it just, I don't know. Because Rise like was a good came, game. It just felt like it kind of came and went to me as yeah. an outsider, where World, it felt yeah. like once it released, everyone was talking about it. I don't know if it was the, sure. uh, the Switch-only release or if it just didn't change up enough. Uh, so I'm eager to get to it once it releases on PC in just a couple of days as of the time of recording this uh, and yeah. see if any of that, you know, I was I was pretty, like, addicted to World when it released on PC in 2019. 
19, 20, 20 whenever it released on PC. Uh, and the, so Rise, I'm actually kind of like, I hope I don't get addicted because that was 800 hours of my life. If I can leave it to 100 hours, that'll be good. Um, you so can, you could definitely do it under like 150 for sure. Oh, good. No longer yeah. than Pathfinder. <laughs> only, yeah, only 100 under 150. So for our most anticipated uh, 2022 RPGs, we, we basically polled our staff and asked us, to, uh, Adam basically held an internal poll and asked and all of our contributors to just kind of tally up what games they're most interested in and which games got the most tallies. We kind of listed in no real order outside of an overall most anticipated game. And we kind of had a wishful thinking pick last year for um, Final Fantasy 16. And so that's back on the list again. Uh, there was a few other titles, I think, Adam, that ended up on last year's anticipated list and this year. Uh, but that's kind of it's that's and it, you're always going to run into that because something's well, I guarantee Elden one of these Ring. games. Oh, yeah, Elden Ring again. Uh, one of these games is actually five. Sorry, it's, be, it's its third year. Uh, yeah, it will be delayed <laughs> out of the year. It's interesting though, like it's kind of like the Digimon Survive thing where like the fact that it keeps getting delayed, people are still marking as anticipating it, like they're not like losing interest. So we're we are patient people. Um, one thing that was interesting was that a, a lot of our staff anticipated picks are very similar to our readers. Uh, but there are a couple absences. Like our staff, we had a Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which we will talk about that because it was announced in December that it is targeting a 2022 date, which I know is kind of like, I don't know how much stock you put into that, but uh, it feels like an appropriate time for it based on uh, the just kind of like how absent it's been for the last couple of years. I guess it's in a very similar place as Digimon Survive. Uh, we've got Stranger of Paradise. We've got Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, that expansion for Rise. Uh, Star Ocean, the Divide Force. I feel kind of bad on that one because we kind of like, we kind of like endearingly shit talk it whenever we get the chance to talk about Star Ocean, uh, Star Ocean 6. Uh, our overall most anticipated game for uh, 2022 is Triangle Strategy. I think it's just kind of we all have have not played a game in that uh, grid-based Japanese turn-based tactics style in a while, and this feels like it's scratching an itch that just has been you know left unsated for, for several years, and it has a good art style and kind of a good pedigree from the developer. So I think this was an appropriate top pick for most anticipated, and seems like it's not likely to fall out of 2022. So that's good. We'll avoid um we'll avoid that embarrassment. Our wishful thinking pick for 2022 is the uh, Dragon Quest III HD 2D remake. So uh, we don't have any confirmation on a date on that, right, Adam? Nope. And technically, no confirmation on platform either. So uh, anyone see think that anything's uh, missing from our most anticipated list? Or what, what on here are you most anticipated for, Josh? Well, one quick, well, or, sorry, let me butt in. One, one kind of funny thing is um, on the reader poll, they voted Trails from Zero, like we said. But from our poll, one reason why Trails of Zero didn't rank is probably because like three of the people who are interested in it or more, four of you, I think, all played I it think, already. I th I think, I Either think you played it in of, Japanese or you played all it. All of us here, literally other than you, have played it, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess yeah so. everybody yeah. here basically played it. But it's one of those weird things. Like, I can't really anticipate it. I already know what's gonna what it is. So, so yeah, so, so Trails from Zero is in a weird place because it had the, in my opinion, high quality. Well, I, I say my opinion, even though I've never played or understood the original Japanese, but a, a very good uh, fan translation that released in 2020. And then uh, Chow and James have played it before even then. I don't know when Josh played it. And I, I think it's a really good game. And it kind of like rekindled 
some excitement I used to have for the series, and I will play the official release and probably think really highly of it. And you know, I anticipate that we will be speaking about it again at the end of this year. But it's again, just we've all played it already, and I don't know if that's kind of like almost contaminating the results because we already have like expectations for it, or we already have our preconceptions for what it is. Even though it's not, but pre- I'll, I'll pick it up again, like easily, like when it comes out on Steam and everything. Like I'll still buy it and support it. And be like, yeah, let me go check out, like you know how they did on this official yeah, release. I'll do the same, but it's like I already beat it before. I know everything about it, and even the sequel, I wrote an entire guide about it. So yeah, so yeah. Tra- Trails from Zero is such a weird spot because uh, you know it's the fan translation just preceded the official translation by such a short time, just two years in this or two years. Two, roughly two years in this case and we'll have the same thing again when i just i i played both of those games with their fan translations back to back in 2021 so now i'll get to experience them again uh, as i doled out in 2022 and 2023 with their official releases so we didn't anticipate it because we had already played it that's kind of the only reason it's really absent there but yeah but uh, back to your question about like what like uh a ge- either a game on your or a game that's missing like honestly um some friends have been really hyping up the Lost Ark, the upcoming MMO mm-hmm. uh, coming in February. It's kind of like uh, action RPG MMO, and I played a little bit of like the open or beta to like the when that was open to like the people who had like the founders pack. Like a friend gifted me to that, and um, it's a it's a, it's a lot of fun. Like I had a lot of fun with it, and you know I haven't played an MMO in years, so I'm really uh, I might be going deep into uh, Lost Ark next month. Like oh. I am really interested in playing that too. Like all yeah. my friends that used to play MMOs with me want to play it together. So I think it's yeah. a chance to get my old group back. You know, I mean, I love Final Fantasy fourteen, but it's not quite the same not playing with your buddies. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm. It's it's like a lot of my friends have like played like like the Russian in the Russian server, and they love it. And they're like, we just want this official release to come out. So they're starving for it. So I'm like, all right, all right. It's 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 like you don't have to like buy into it. It's like there's like a free to play tier as well. So even if you want to just check it out, uh, just uh, based on curiosity, there's like a free to play tier on there as well. Uh, I trust the publisher. You know, I played their mobile gacha games, and you know, people know mobile gacha games are really scummy with monetization, right? So, and I don't know. I played their their mobile game Epic Seven, and I didn't have a hard time. I mean, I was able to keep up with the whales just by playing daily. You know, it's like so. I, I feel like I can trust them with the free to play model. Yeah, and I think a lot of people just thought play for free and have fun with it. So, I mean, you're not really missing out on a crazy amount if you aren't, from what I understand. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like for my uh, pick out of nowhere um, that's not on this list, I think Lost Ark will probably would be that one. And I, I am just a very basic person where I just agree with the with the staff pick of Triangle Strategy. That's probably the one that I um, anticipate the most. I really enjoyed the demo for it from like 10 months ago or whenever that was. So that is easily my pick. Uh, Adam, what would yours most anticipated be? Uh, train, Stranger of Paradise. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah that's a good one. Uh, what about you, James? Probably Elden Ring. Yeah. Hell yeah. And Chow? Uh, let's go with Sea of Stars. 
Ooh, oh, that's a good like one. That, that that one uh didn't make the list, but it is. Uh, I believe we do have we have a lot of new slate here. I'm like scrolling through what we have to talk about. I know Sea of Stars is on here somewhere. Uh, so that's what we're going to start transitioning into next. So uh, obviously we have a lot to talk about. This might be a little bit fast and loose, just because we don't want to get bogged down in too much stuff, especially when some of this news is like three weeks old. And in terms of other features that I've gone up on the site, some late December reviews. Uh, James did put up a Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker review uh, just a week or so ago, or even less than that. Yeah, never mind, only like four days ago. I anticipate that we're going to be talking about Endwalker a fair bit in upcoming podcasts as we talk uh, go through our early sections, and I'm assuming that both James and Chow will have plenty of opinions on it. But uh, James, I'll give you just a couple minutes here just to talk about what you decided to write up for Endwalker. And I know reviewing an MMO expansion is always kind of a very a very tricky thing to try to contextualize, but uh, just how do you end up feeling about it? Um, I feel like most people went into Endwalker, especially after Shadowbringers, expecting it to not live up to the expectations that Shadowbringers set. Because like everyone that played Shadowbringers, especially once you got into the patches and you did like up through patch 5.3, it's like, man, what a damn good expansion. And um, yeah, and Walker, at least as far as I'm concerned, absolutely delivered, has like fantastic dungeons. All of the trials are really, really good. The zones are all really nice and pretty inventive, especially considering like the variety in the zones that there are. Um, the extreme trials are pretty good. I've only seen one of the Savage Raids so far, but from what I've seen, people seem pretty happy with the Savage Raids, but again, it's still pretty early, so who's to say like how th uh, thoughts and feelings will evolve. The main thing that I kind of avoided in my review was talking about the story, just because I feel like, especially with Endwalker, you get more out of the story the less you know about it going in. Like I, I feel like almost every single person that played Endwalker is going to be like, man, I didn't expect the story to go this direction, for better or worse. It subverts their expectation in a good way. That's how I would put it. Yeah. And like the only real reason I went for a nine over a ten is that a lot of people have issues with like these stealth segments for like side quests and some main scenario quests where it's like oh you need to tr you need to tail someone and then there's like a line of sight and it's like there's, there's something i'm like grinning right now like wait there's tailing sections of this like why do yeah, developers keep going for this they're trying to make like all these like different new mission scenarios because people are bored with the same system so they try to come I, up with all kinds of different ones i guess i can respect so, that. I, I do think that one of my favorite missions is this one where you know, it plays like completely different and people are not really well received with this mission when, you know, a couple patch later, they've nerfed it, you know, because they do not yeah. like that one. But I really love that mission. It yeah, made same, me feel same. like, you know, I, I, I might have felt different if I had failed it once or twice, because then any like tension from the scene just would have been removed. And it's like, oh, man, I have to just let me finish this. But I. I got it on my first try and it was actually really close. So it like kind of really suited the narrative. But it's like, I liked it. I can see why other people didn't. And it's like one of those things where it's, I don't know. Like, if I'm going to push for a 10, I want to be able to say, okay, I really 100% can say, even if there's issues, I don't think it, well, even if people feel there's issues, I can say, oh, well, I don't think it's actually a big problem. But for stuff like the solo duties and the killing sections, it's like, yeah, 
Yeah, and there is some pacing issues in the story in one or two spots, but it's like overall, like personally, this is well, I mean, I put it in my top 10 list that's my game of the year, but man, just what a great expansion. Like, what is it? In Shadowbringers, there's pacing issues in Shadowbringers too. It's not all that perfect. Everyone just tries to pretend it's all shine, shine, and bring bros because it's the ultimate expansion. But you know, there is some pacing issues coming from someone that caught up with the game. It's like Shadowbringers is still fresh in my head, you know? It's like, it's not perfect as people made it out to be, you know? Yeah, so we'll be talking about Endwalker, I'm sure, because they've already updated it like twice uh yeah. since the release and as an outsider to me it seems like they uh it feels like a game just came out and the fact that they're already like adding stuff to it is I think uh really kind of impressive i love that in our end of the year uh post we had to like clearly have like a little header saying like best ongoing support we literally just can't count endwalker or final fantasy 14 in general because it fell as a december game which is outside of our window for consideration so it's uh we'll be talking about endwalker at the end of this year i presume and anything else that comes to final fantasy 14 i know not they're not doing the typical sort of like uh as far as my understanding is we're not doing the typical post-release expansion but they'll be occurring in some fashion as they transition to a new story arc so it'll be interesting to see like ongoing support in terms of a new expansion and then even beyond that a couple other features that went up on the site in the uh in the ending waning periods of the year uh we did get a review for voice of cards the isle dragon roars Uh, i know adam's played this i know uh, Josh has at least played some of it. I don't know if you finished it. I only, uh, I only played the demo. I, I didn't actually get the full game yet. I just was in, in this phase of like, ah, I don't really feel like playing this right now. Especially with like some people telling me it's like it's like it's you don't have to rush to play it. It's not like anything amazing. It's, so it's like okay, well, I can. It, it'll be there when I, when it's when I get around to it. Right. So uh, so Paige Chamberlain uh, early in January wrote up her her review for. The Isle Dragon Wars. And I think her, her response was basically the same, where it has like a really cool aesthetic, the way it really like marries itself to presenting it as a tabletop card game system and really using that that kind of framework for its uh style and for its strategy is really cool. But beyond that, it feels superficial. Obviously, you'll have to read her full review to get the her full impressions. Uh, but we have that up on the site. We didn't want that to, to linger and go uncovered. We did also get a review from uh, another contributor, Nathan, for the Neptunia cross Senran Kagura Ninja Wars uh, crossover for those two series. And I know he's a big fan of Neptunia. I don't know much about whether he had played the previous Senran Kaguras, uh, but he thought the game was solid, not great. And he also was able to put up a, uh, a written review for that late in December, like while we were all on break. He kind of wrote that up for us and put it out there, which is good because uh, we didn't want that to go, uh, you know, the fall through the cracks either. Yeah, that's kind of like that's coming to like getting a PC release like soon ish, I think, as well. So it's coming to other platforms. Um, and like so now that we're on the topic of like Neptunia, very briefly, like I know they're putting out this like game called like Top Nep or Top Nep Gear. It's literally just a fucking Space Harrier game, new Space Harrier game with a Neptunia skin on top of it, which is really funny. <laughs> so, like, all right, sure. <laughs> And we also have, th- we have three more reviews that have went up on the site. And all of these games were talked about kind of at some length on the end of the year podcast. And that is, uh, Josh put up a Super Robot Wars 30 review. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I pretty much said what I, what I thought about that game. Like, you know, really praised it for like it's uh, the, the structure, the, the narrative structure that I went for that I've talked about in this podcast, you know, and I was playing through it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that like, 
and the 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 game that like the one SRW game that finally came out to like officially everywhere. Like it was a pretty solid one. Like I I liked it a lot. I'm really curious to see what they're gonna do next. Like I'm, yeah, because there's like a lot of like staff changes uh with that studio and seeing you know where the series is gonna go next is gonna be really interesting. It's like the, it's how I feel. It's the same feeling that I have about like stuff like RGG Studio with staff changes there and um uh, atlas it's cool pretty cool yeah yeah it'll be an interesting year to see like all this new blood and some of these like mm-hmm. really legacy you know development houses and see if we can uh, it'll probably be like a long tail before we see like whether that shifts like their presentation or, or what we sort of expect from those from rgg or from or from atlas but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of carries forward into this year and beyond uh, we also got a review from James for Undernaughts Labyrinth of Yomi, which just barely got eked out of our top 10. And I do know since uh, publishing this, uh, Adam has also played it. So another one of those releases that we talked about at length, uh, kind of with the end of the year podcast. But and just then want, I, okay, I'll give I'll give a little bit something for, for our listeners, uh, because, you know, uh, I just want to let you know, people, that it literally for like the quote unquote top ten spot, even though like the bottom five is unranked on our top ten list, the 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 ten spot literally came out to either Undernauts or Tales of Arise. Yeah, and so. I think it it kind of ran into the same thing again, where just more people had played Arise. We had like four or five that had played Arise, and I think at the time James was the Adam would hadn't gotten quite. He got to it like the day after, <laughs> but like James was the only one vouching for Undernauts, even though I know he felt strongly about it as he wrote in his review. Uh, I don't know if you have any like final concluding thoughts you wanted to add to what you had already written up, James. Uh, nothing really too much. Um, I pretty much said everything I need to say in that review and during yeah, the right. game your podcast. So, mm. so very, a very good game. Uh, if I can make time for it, it'd be nice. I'm not very experienced with dungeon crawlers, and I know Adam has also uh, played it as well. Do you have any like one sentence thoughts on what you played on Undernauts over the break? It's, um, it's probably the easiest game to recommend out of all of the experience RPGs because it is a good game and it doesn't have some of. So, like, I think um, Stranger of Sword City, which was uh, my favorite of the. Th- of the developer's output. It has some really interesting ideas and some really cool art and some really uh, fun dungeons and gameplay, but there are some big caveats in it with some of its mechanics, like how characters are revived. And also I think the story just kind of ends on a whimper. Whereas I think Undernauts is very, very good as well. And, it, but it's much more approachable and doesn't have any big caveats like stranger of sword city does. And I think the story ends a little bit better than Stranger of Sword City does. So it's like, it, if it's not my favorite, my new favorite, it's like number two. Mm-hmm. So, and it's easier to recommend. And then after our last regular episode of the podcast, but before our Game of the Year podcast, Adam wrote up his review on Wildermyth. And you had kind of talked about uh, what you thought on, on that podcast, but you did, I just wanted to you know give you your due here and say that you did also formally revite, write it up as a review. So... Yep. Any other final thoughts on it? Just or just kind of it is nah. what it is. Did so. This is one of those things I'm sort of interested to see how. So the the big hook to Wildermyth was its procedural storytelling, and what's kind of funny was like when I was thinking about how to describe the game, I called. I sort of was thinking like, what do you call these 
like little snippets of story that are stitched together to kind of create a narrative that's not like it's like each individual part is bespoke, but how it comes together is not because it's just sort of automatically generated. It's just kind of stitched together depending on randomness and what you do. And I didn't really come away from that all too positive, but I, I know like games like weird West, which is coming up in a few months. uh, They are actually talking about how their story works. And it's also procedurally generated in a way that there's random events that occur in certain places in that game. And the the person who was talking about it actually called them storylets, like packet only storylet was mm. the wording they used. Has so that I'm, ever been used before? Is that is I don't that know. Word? That's that they they were calling them storylets, and I actually have a friend who was like, I can't deal with this. Like can't, I can't deal with the word storylet. But I'm okay. curious you have to, to make see. sure that term never catches on. <laughs> I'm curious to see like games that try this sort of. You know, we, everyone's, Weird Weird West is an immersive sim. And immersive sims have always sort of had that, um, things can sort of happen kind of semi-randomly and it's unique for each person who plays it. But Weird West is one of the things it's apparently going for is to make every experience unique from every player and using these storylets. I'm curious to see games going forward that kind of approach this sort of procedural random like the story you get is a story that no one else is going to get and how it, well it works. It feels like it's kind of a sister or a companion to emergent storytelling where you're like, Oh, I was doing this thing and I don't know, pray or dishonored. Yeah. And I had this really cool, like really tense experience because not because of something the writers wrote, but just because of the way the systems function and how like I had this really cool, like tense moment. And, but I was able to get through it because I interfaced with the game in this particular way. It almost seems like Wildermyth and weird West are kind of like, designed emergent storytelling which is kind of a very it seems like a very tricky thing to like to nail and not feel like it's arbitrary or modular uh, i'm actually pretty interested in mm-hmm. weird west uh, just to just for those who aren't aware we're, the, the creative director key to lead behind weird west is the same one for prey so it's kind of oh it's valid that you brought that up <laughs> okay yeah, i didn't even know <laughs> weird west. it seems really cool it also it also we're gonna get to this later but it just it was one of those things that like we it, it was like its original release date was like is either now or like very close, but then they delayed it all the way back to like late March. So it's like, I, and it was like very close to like the, its initial release date too. So it was like, oh, well, mm. okay. And then not a new release, but also a game that released in December was the uh, PC port for Final Fantasy VII Remake, our uh, our game of the year, you know, two years ago, and Chow was able to play through that on PC. So uh, obviously you kind of wrote up what your experience was with the PC version of that game. Uh, it seems like it's kind of limited, but functionally fine. Uh, how was your experience with Final Fantasy VII Remake? I think it's fantastic, but I know uh, a lot of people disagree with that. I, I know. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, yeah, you're, you're, it seems like your case is either like in the minority or like because I, I've heard nothing but problems about this PC. I, as well. I also heard like a lot of the problems is like people using free thousand series cards. I don't have a free thousand series card because they had this dynamic was a dynamic scaling resolution problem where the game is trying to like manually adjust the resolution for you, causing stutters. Yeah, but so, I didn't have any of those issues. I even recorded a video to prove it. You know, it's yeah, like, so it's, yeah. So it seems like one of, it's like one of those weird things, like like with the near PC uh, replicant PC port, where like having like somewhat aged old hardware is that works out better for you in this port, like that. Like, like I even tested with a different machine too. Like I tested with a laptop, which has more moderate specs, and that works too, right? Yeah. So it's, my, it's my similar. 
Go My similar it. experience was playing uh, the PC port of Horizon Zero Dawn, and I didn't have any problems. And then that game came out, and people were just lambasting all the issues they had. And I felt like, yep. did I miss something? Like, am I just stupid? Like, did I do or whatever? But uh, but then I remember when that game came out, uh, Durante basically had his like tips for experiencing Horizon Zero Dawn at the best possible, like how your computer should be configured to to do this at the in the best possible way. And all of his tips for things like I was already doing. So I'm like, oh, maybe that explains it. So whenever we review PC games and I see that my experience doesn't match uh what others experience, or even reading like Chow's impressions here and realize they don't they don't match it seems like what a lot of people are having issues with. That's just the inherent difficulty of, you know, variable hardware and even software and like what operating system you're running or, or whatever, whether you're running like overclocking things or monitors or all the other things that people try to tweak and change. And like, I didn't realize that I had this issue that, you know, that was, you know, unique to my setup or whatever. So PC ports are hard to to analyze. But was this it, your it, also just, it also just sucks because like like in, in cases like this, it's always up to the community to be like, all right, well, we'll fix it like in two to three days. And we're like, you don't understand why the publisher or the developer of this port like didn't go this path. It's like it always seems to end up with the community be like, all right, we'll fucking fix your mistakes because you gave us our PC release. You know, it sucks. It sucks that it has to be like that. But that's what but it is Chow, just on, on the game itself, is that your first time playing uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake? No, I played the PlayStation 4 version. Ah, like, right. Even the laptop that has like moderate spec, it's still better than the PS4 version. Like, ah. The only problem is the game's steep price. Like It's at like $95 Canadian, you know? It's like, oh. well, it's hard to justify buying that for something that you can, you know, if you don't want this computer experience, you could buy like a cheap PS4 version for like 30 bucks. And if you own a PS5, you technically could get it for like $50, right? You get it for free right now either way if you have PS Plus because they upgraded the PS Plus um, access of Final Fantasy VII Remake to Remake Integrate if you got that. So, you mm-hmm. PS Plus. so technically so. you're getting scammed as a PC gamer, technically. Well, like I, I was one of the it. dumbasses <laughs> that uh, shelled out for the uh, Epic Game Store version of the Kingdom Hearts games. Like 200 bucks in total for all four instead of getting like the collection so far on PlayStation. And I have not played any of them because I am dumb. All right. <laughs> so. Nice. We are we, we make good decisions here, but yeah, I mean I I'm fine with this port. I, I I I'm happy with it. It's just what I wrote is different than what other people seem to have. And you know, yeah. it feels like fifty fifty. Like some people say it's good, some people say it's bad. I though there is a universal thing is that there is not much options there, and I think the reason why there isn't much option there is they probably just want to set it. Oh, this is what the P- PlayStation Four version was like. This is the PS Five version. Boom, that's it. There was no tweaking for more fine-tuning settings in the game. Yeah, so like with any PC port thing, your mileage will, will vary because you don't have the same exact hardware, most likely. Then you mm. know, and even I then, feel like... it... go, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say that I know people make a big, big deal about which uh, like PC storefront a game goes to, but I think one argument that does have some merit is that when you're taking an exclusivity deal for Epic and you're being paid up front, it does kind of disincentivize putting as much work into the port because you can just kind of put it out there because you're already expecting to make your money through the agreement. And it's like, I don't know, it just kind of stands out to me. 
which is weird because the Kingdom Hearts ports were really good. And I'm not sure if maybe that was like just Disney breathing down their necks or what. Square I, Enix I, I has know. like no consistency when it comes to ports. Like, uh, though this release Saga, Saga Frontier remastered and uh, Trials of Mana, or not Trials of Mana, Legend of Mana uh, remastered up on Legend Steam. Of Mana. Yeah, wasn't Legend of Mana like a bad port too? Because it had like... I, Legend of Mana, it seems like it runs into that problem where it's actually so low spec that if you have a high-end GPU, uh, you have more problems than if you had like a low-end GPU, where like your GP, like GPUs are uh, something like go into like power saving mode or power cycling or whatever it is, yeah. and like it just makes it very weird in playing it. Yeah. I, when I played the Legend of Mana PC port, it was very, very sluggish. I don't know if they fixed it or not. And then, yeah, like near near replicant was day and date on Steam with uh, with a few issues, but then Neil the World Ends with You was late on Epic and I think was fine. And then Kingdom Hearts, like yeah. you said, was excellent. And then Final Fantasy VII Remake was meager. It just there is no like a Square Enix PC port. It's literally just like a grab bag. Like, will it be on time or late? Will yeah, it be fully featured or not? <laughs> their, their Western uh, like you know publishing side seems to have better PC ports like Guards of the Galaxy. I have yep. no like. I know there were some large PC issues, but they got ironed out pretty fast. Um, and obviously, the Deus Ex games uh, were largely fine. fine. Yeah. yeah. So, but what we're saying is, Forspoken is going to be the best PC port they'll do in 2022, obviously. Speaking of Square Enix PC ports, <laughs> so Adam got to play one that had almost full, uh, flown completely under the radar, but he like deliberately wrote this up so that it wouldn't. Uh, he wrote up about the uh, Final Fantasy Legend Game Boy games that got ported to uh, PC and Switch. Uh, Adam, tell me about these games, because I, if you did not write about these, I would have completely forgot about uh, these ports. Uh, what's the last Game Boy game you remember getting ported? Uh, None? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... I just basically wrote this up to like show appreciation literally to Square Enix in this regard where it's like, hey, these games are literally more than 30 years old now. The only way to play them before this release, uh, well, I should set back well, yeah, a bit. Yeah, this I was say, let's pack make, let's actually released on Switch last year. Um, we're talking about the Final Fantasy Legend Game Boy games, which, is, which are the 1, 2, and 3. They are known in Japan as Saga 1, 2, and 3. It's the first three games in the Saga series. Um, I was actually reading some other reviews for these and someone kind of put it uh, this way. We're like, after working on Final Fantasy 2, Square Enix took the took Kawazu and the other madmen who worked on it, put them in the corner, had them wear their funny hats, and then they put out the Saga <laughs> games. Um, so, uh, anyways. They never stopped. Yeah, they're still there. More on that, more on that later. Uh, but, um, so this collection came out for Switch in December of 2020. At the time, we didn't cover it just because December's are always busy months for us. And it was, you know, just fell under the radar, just didn't get around to it. Um, but it released for Steam this year, as well as mobile devices. And I just kind of wanted to, like, show appreciation to, like, thank you, Square Enix. You didn't have to do this. You really didn't. But for just porting these games, putting them on PC, where presumably they'll be there for the foreseeable future. Anyone can play them on any computer. They're obviously Game Boy games, so it's not... You can play probably late on anything. And I just appreciate that option rather than, you know, games that end up on subscription services or in... You don't see these much anymore, but like those novelty uh, mini consoles or whatever. Just like, here they are on PC. It's pretty much just a straight port. It does have a speed-up mode, which I, of course, very appreciate, which honestly is probably like the only thing it really needed. It's a Game Boy game. Um, so yeah, 
Can my uh, 3000 series card run Final Fantasy Legend? I mean, mean, we just talked about how Legend of Mana might not not work so well. Uh, No, but it is cool that we uh, always get a chance to kind of cover some classic games uh, up on the site and especially kind of, you know, respecting the effort that Square Enix put into making those uh, more readily available. By the way, the only other Game Boy game I can think of that got ported was the first Final Fantasy or the first Mana game in Final Fantasy Adventure in Collection of Mana, which... I, it'd be nice if that also went to Steam because it's on Switch. But I think there is something like Nintendo actually helped out with the porting process for that um, because of weird coding and whatnot. So maybe it's stuck on Switch. But um, mm. that was the only other that was the only other Game Boy game I could think of was basically the Final Fantasy Saga or Final Fantasy uh, Adventure game versus compared to the Final Fantasy Legend games, which are of course Mana and Saga respectively. I, every time we talk about classic mana and saga, I feel like I need like a flow chart. I think I got it. Yeah, <laughs> but it just needs a bit of repetition before it like really because it's it's called actually like final. It's it's called Mystic Quest in Europe, but that's different than Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which in Japan is known as Final Fantasy USA, which is it, really weird. And then one uh one non review or impressions feature that did go up in December uh, was an interview about one of the games that featured prominently in our end of the year discussions, uh, Neo: The World Ends with You. So Adam and Cullen were able to uh, get a question and answer uh, interview with uh, the developers behind Neo, The World Ends With You. I don't know much of the details about specifically who spoke, who you spoke to here and what you were able to get. So Adam, just while you're on a roll, uh, what did you, uh, what were you able to glean from your interaction here for uh, this interview about Neo? So it seems like in terms of who we were able to speak to, it, it seems like Square Enix basically actually like doled out the questions to whoever that was most uh, um, relevant. So we got That's some an- answers from yeah we got some answers from the Japanese side we got some answers from the localization team you know the English localization team and we kind of got um, you know a wide breadth of of responses like for example the localization team was talking about like compared to ten years ago people are a little bit more online what does that mean in terms of how people talk in the world ends with you or near the world ends with you people are texting a lot more often. So, like, how do they talk in text versus how do they talk in real in you know, with their words? Um, how do they incorporate slang? Like, there's Japanese slang, there's American slang or English slang. Obviously, it's an English translation. How do you do that? Um, in terms of the, uh, like, the Japanese side, one of the things we asked about that we didn't get a lot of information on, but it sort of uh, matches what I sort of was uh, speculating about the game in terms of uh, content that I asked what, is there anything that they wanted to put into the game that they weren't able to or couldn't for whatever one reason or another? And one reason, one thing they said was they the game had has a lot of uh, sorry I'm kind of stumbling over my words here. There's a lot, Shinjuku is a very important place in the game, and they are hoping to maybe have a little bit more about like what happened with Shinjuku. And because if you actually played the game, it kind of feels like the Shinjuku stuff kind of happened off screen, right? Uh, with Sugumi and some of the other characters from there. And they're saying like that was maybe an original intent was to focus more on that, but they sort of decided away from that and into Shibuya to talk to focus more on Rindo and his group. So like we didn't get a lot there, but there's like you know you can it's a little bit more to speculate on in terms of the development of this game and maybe concepts that were there that weren't in the present and not in the full release and things like that. So yeah, that's, no, and you know just kind of a breadth of answers that were interesting to read. 
No, it was cool because I uh, I do know I do also wanted to shout out that uh, Cullen Black, another contributor, did contribute to that feature. So uh, that's up on the site. And then Neo, the world ends with you, did end up placing uh, highly on our end of the year lists, and did also win the uh, our our commendation for best music of twenty twenty one. So a game I will have to make time for. Straight for the Steam port. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> The, uh, the, the last three features that went up at the end of the year or early this year is that uh, Josh, James, and myself uh, wrote up our personal top 10 lists for the year. And I think uh, all of us have done that multiple times before, maybe not every year, but pretty regularly. So you can kind of look through that to see some non-RPGs that the three of us have played. Well, maybe in Josh and James's case, I look at mine and there really isn't a non-RPG. I felt kind of bad. Uh, but you can kind of look at those lists and see they kind of kind of go behind the scenes of the stuff that we've enjoyed that we don't talk about as much on on this podcast or in our site coverage and also kind of see what we thought highly of and how that might have influenced our site's results. So those three features for Brian, Josh, and James, our individual top tens are also features up on the site. All right. So now we're going to go through all of the news, absolutely all of it that was discussed between like December 13th and today. Uh, so there's a lot. Uh, there really is no major order to this. We're not going to go chronologically. And some of these will just kind of skip past in the interest of time. Some of these we'll dive into if they seem like something that we're uh, really interested in. Just kind of a very casual and loose kind of look through all the stuff that is usually stuff to either look forward to this year or some updates such as like some sales milestones that some of the games we've talked about over the course of the last 12 months uh, were able to reach. Um, this is one that we talked about in one of our uh, our most anticipated list. And that is uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. So in early December at Grand Blue Fantasy Fest 2021, we got a new trailer and as well as the announcement that it is set to release worldwide in 2022 for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and Steam. So a long time coming. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about this? I don't know like if you've been maintaining your excitement for this game or if it's waned in the last couple of years or what are you are you it's just one of those things that's like I like it's kind of been a roller coaster like all the gameplay footage that they've been released like when Platinum Games was working on this like it looked uh, somewhat more interesting to me and then like the re not the, not the most recent footage but like the footage before that the release I was like I don't know this game is looking still pretty rough and then the newest released footage is like uh well you know maybe I'm, I'm still kind of like uh iffy on like if, whether like i i'm bought in or not at the moment it, I, I guess it really depends like one it's one of those things i won't know until i get my hands on the controller and play this game for myself um i'm glad it's kind of it gets a pc version i knew there were like like amusing about that like back in 2018 2019 about maybe it getting one but i'm i just want you know more info about this game uh as it you know is hopefully it won't get like Hopefully it doesn't release like like December thirty first, twenty twenty two. It's technically twenty twenty two. It's like God damn it. Well, is, so, isn't there like that semi meme image where it says like coming twenty eighteen or or something like that? Yeah, yeah. There is no game. Yeah, so um, they they said we'll hear more about this game after the Grand Blue anniversary, which is, I believe, February or March. What, 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 March. what is it? March. March? Okay. Uh, so after March, we'll hear more about this game um they they uh showed off you know they they went over the characters that they've already revealed to be playable obviously grand and Gita, the male and female protagonists you choose one as your main character catalina rackham eo yugen rosetta uh, and then the four dragon knights of uh lancelot vane percival and siegfried 
And then they newly revealed that uh, Charlotta and uh, Yodarha, or people call him Yoda, um, uh, as as playable in the game. And that's that, that's that's cool because like I don't think many people expected Yoda to be playable. So I'm hoping when they announce more people to be playable. Obviously, Grand Blue has like a fucking massive fucking roster of like 10 billion characters, but um, they announced ones that like uh, that appeal to me. Like I don't know who would that, that would be, but. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I want to see. Um, there's a there's a girl named Nier. She seems cool. The is she is she cool, Chow? Uh, she's a psychopath. How's that? I'll tell you that. Well, okay, no, she's a victim, I guess. Okay. Um, I'll tell you. Do you okay, Josh? The uh-huh. best comparison would be Sakura from Fate. How does that tell you? Um, they have the same voice actress. They uh-huh. also have a similar tragic storyline. And just think about the Heaven's Field arc and just use that as a comparison. What do you... oh, I, I don't really like Sakura from Fate, so fuck, maybe it's dead on her right one. I don't know. I was like, oh, she seems cool. But uh, but yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what to expect. I just hope I just hope the final playable roster is like interesting. Because at the moment, like when I look at like the current roster of characters, like there's like maybe only two that I images. It's like Yoda and like I don't know. Catalina. <laughs> That's the only ones that are like, uh, those are maybe cool. Maybe Lancelot also. But I don't know if we mentioned this, but one thing I appreciated from this Grand Blue like information is they clarified like the structure of the game. Right. Because when they showed it in the past, I was a little bit confused. Like, what is this game like? Because it seems like it's sort of a cooperative mission-based game where you you can play like a mission with either up to three friends or three AI or a mix, you know, cause it's like a four person, like mission based kind of quest game and like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And yes, that is actually indeed in the game. Like this, this, uh, I forget what they call it. Let me pull up the article here, but there's one thing that they clarified is there is like a single player story mode as well. And that's basically the two different modes to the game is this sort of story mode and this, this quest mode. Let me see what they called it here. Oh yeah, they literally call it main story and questing. So like, it, I appreciate they basically literally just spelled it out. Like, there's the single player main story, and then there's this kind of side mode quest mode that's that is uh, can be multiplayer. Right. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad that was all just clarified. And yeah, that's all we really know aside like the like the big the big thing is like sharing the narrative structure and uh, the new playable characters, and that it's coming to PC via Steam. Like that's all the, the the new info, and obviously the targeted release date of twenty twenty two, and that there's a new character named Roland that's never been in Grand Blue before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm really interested to see how it shapes up, and yeah, that's all. That's all I can. That's all I can really go off of until they share more info, and hopefully, uh, I'm hoping the release date is like somewhat summer. Like that's around. I summer. wonder. I wonder if they learn things from the versus launch. I think. Like, this is the, this is the interesting thing that I was uh, musing about too when they were um, like sharing details about that game, and it seems like that, like at the official site they're not partnering up with like an external Western publisher for this release. It seems like they're doing the release themselves, from what I understand. Like I'm not sure like who's burning the bridges. Like like Exceed was like I you know it's like. They they didn't get the game ahead of time. These guys got it out, and there's just all this like drama, like about it's like who botched the launch and stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll recap this really fast because we're probably lo- losing a lot of listeners on this. 
Like so, like the the release of Grand Blue Fantasy Versus uh, is pretty infamous in the, in their history for side games because of how that was um, handled, and that that was like uh, in twenty twenty. The release dates for Grand Blue uh, Versus were on Japanese PS4 is February sixth, uh, North America PS4 March third, Steam was March thirteenth, uh, Europe was March twenty seventh, and um. The fun fact about that was the EU publisher, uh, Marvelous, and I don't think the NA publisher, XC, they're both fun in the same anyway, uh, knew that the Steam version existed, if I remember correctly. And then, because like the Steam version was released, like was revealed very like late, like last minute, and like Marvelous and XC didn't do the localization for the games. All they did was the English voice acting, and they were just publishing partner duties. All that was done in-house at Side Games. And the Hong Kong release of Grand Blue Versus that launched alongside Japanese release date and had the full English localization text on it. So if you connect the dots, you know, a lot of the North America and especially European sales were already cannibalized by side games' decisions. So, and of course, a lot of people blame Marvelous and Exceed, even though it was probably a situation they couldn't control and it was out of their hands because side games went to off to go do their thing. So, I mean, the, the, at least with Relink, they're starting to like take steps to like avoid that. One by announcing the Steam version way in advance before release, not last minute. And two, it it, it doesn't seem like there's like any external publishing partners, so they don't screw them over again. Perhaps, you know. So that's we'll see. We'll see. I I think I think it, it won't. It, they won't botch it because they're, it's just all on them now. We also got two kind of announcements back to back that we could have touched on earlier when we were talking about um, Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure and basically that series in general. We've obviously talked about on the podcast in the previous year about the most recent release, uh, Kuro no Kaseki, which James has played through and written his impressions on up on the site. Uh, during a uh, shareholders meeting in December, Falcom did announce that Kurokoseki surprise will be getting a sequel coming out in fall 2022 in Japan Kurokoseki 2 Crimson Sin so if you were expecting a yeast 9 follow up or brandish or whatever you uh you hipsters are looking forward to from Falcom uh no it's uh, uh more uh, more Kaseki for 2022 uh and then obviously you know we've got uh Hajimari or Trails from Re- into Reverie uh, slated coming up not in 2022, but 2023 for the English releases. So we're back to kind of the state where we are perpetually three or so years behind. Um, there was a question and answer uh, during this shareholder meeting about the lag between the Japanese and English releases for these games. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who gave this answer. The answer that Nis- the, the answer that Falcom gave was that there are a number of internal circumstances with the Nice America, the English publisher, that are outside of Falcom's control, but they are interested in increasing the release pace for the uh, English localizations. But uh, Nis- they are interested in working with Nisa to improve the situation going forward, though. As far as I can tell, they don't really provide many details on how they. Yeah, there's this. this, like that's such a stupidest answer from them. To be honest, like, oh, if there's only, I wonder if there's like a, a way for us to like solve this problem. And then you're thinking about like how Falcom puts these out fucking yearly at like at a machine's pace with a shitload of text. And then you're thinking, I wonder how we can fucking speed up the process of yeah. this. Like, not surely to- we cannot be the problem, right? Yeah, not <laughs> to mention like. You know it as well as I do, Josh. Like Kuro released unfinished. Like a month yeah. later, they actually finished the game. 
It's like well, yeah, like it's a, like now they're like releasing in a state where like they have to like patch in fucking cutscenes and refining like the actual like battle animations because they were unfinished for the initial release because they had to make that. Not to mention doubling the frame rate and making it yeah. so you can skip best craft animations. It's like Jesus fucking Christ, dude! It's like, and then they're thinking like, I wonder if there is a way for us to improve the pace of us to really release it. It's like, bro, <laughs> come on. I don't know. I'm not really positive about the trail series, considering what I read from that interview uh, recently that they have. It's like even the logo is apparently not finished for the sequel. It's like, oh my god! It's like, do they have to really put everything out in a yearly basis? You know, it's like I think it's one of those things. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Like, they're like they put themselves in a weird financial corner where it's like sink or swim at this point. Like, if if we're if we're if if we're not making this amount of guaranteed profit or income like in a year, then like we're in trouble. I think I think that's where they are right now. And well, that, even Cruel didn't sell that well. Apparently, that's what I heard. It's like yeah, it's not even like meeting half the sales of the of the Cold Steel yeah. series or something and, like that. And that's why they've had to like expand to like other like partnerships and stuff. Like you know, with the Cold Steel anime, that they you know license that out and like get a little bit of income from it. Um, so I mean, it's it's it a stupid weird. answer. It's a yeah. stupid answer, but I don't know if there's like a like a there, there's actually like a, a solution for this at the moment with their circumstances as well. Which sucks, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, but they, they, they've that. That's always been Falcom. They've always been small, and like, and they've always like, kind of. They've now cornered themselves in this weird financial hole where, like, if it's not Kiseki, then we're not fucking selling. Like East, I, I don't know how how well East does these days either compared to Kiseki in Japan. I don't think it does as well. I want to say one thing though. It's very weird that they that they're saying, "Oh well, the logo isn't even fully um, finalized." And it's like you look at it, and it's like. Why'd they even say that? Because it it's it looks perfectly fine. It looks finished. Like, why on earth would you say that? It just makes people worry for probably no reason. <laughs> no sense. Yeah, even even then, like uh, like uh, like they they um they showed off the artwork for like Elaine's new outfit in the Kuro sequel, and they're like, mm, it's not final, by the way. <laughs> it's just like it's kind of like concept. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> oh. It's so weird. It's so weird, and you and you know that 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 Kuro's gonna make that September twenty seventh release date come hell or high water, whether the game's actually finished or not, because that's just their favorite release date for Tales games or Trails games. I don't. I don't. Know. And we'll and we'll look forward to it in twenty twenty six. I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 I'd like to I'd like to be honest. Like, I'm really I'm really excited to see Kuro to Kiseki too, Crimson. That's it. It, it is. I'm really just see where they take the they take these characters and the story next. There's obviously um, the main plot line uh, is obviously like unresolved, like from the first one. Like there's it's pretty conclusive, but like there's still one lingering thing that they have to do. So um, yeah. I would just see where the, where it goes. And uh, I like there there was a, a Famitsu interview that they did talking about like you know how the characters have been you know where they're at in popularity with the Japanese audience. You know that that's somewhat relevant and important to the trail series because, for better or worse, like you know, fan reception somewhat guides them at, at times uh, throughout the series. So it was really cool to see that like it took a while, but like Elaine like is pretty popular among women and like uh, a good number of players as they gone through the game now. You know, so she like like out of the gate, Elaine had like really like bad negative reception for whatever reason, but. I'm glad that Elaine, like you know, is now 
I, I uh, loved how you say she had bad negative uh, reception for whatever reason. We both know the reason why. Oh yeah, we know the reason why, but I'm not going to share it here. But um, yeah, and I wonder if they're they're gonna um, what do you call this? I hopefully they won't pull um, what was that character train from Zisteria with the spear that was uh, the, marketed as the heroine at first? What was her name? Alicia. Alicia. Yeah. yeah, but hopefully they don't like. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna compare compare to Alay and Alicia in that way, but the, it it does borderline get uh, get there at times with Kuro, but it wasn't marketed that way. So in this one, it seems like they're putting Elaine front and center. So that means she she I hope she's a fully playable now as part of your party. Yeah. Uh, we got a new trailer for. A game that I had no idea existed and had wasn't expecting and did not know what to expect other than basically Josh sharing it and saying, like, what the hell is this? So I am talking about Showa American Story from Necom Entertainment. So uh, this is a three minute trailer, a revealed trailer for the game that takes place in a post-apocalyptic America and an alternate timeline as if it has been overtaken by showa era japan as if they had colonized america like in the what the 60s 70s 80s and this trailer is a trip just everything about it so uh, uh, uh yeah i went it's, uh, I, went, I went into this trailer basically only knowing that it was wild and i'm like all right people are just playing this up because people like to exaggerate on the internet but this trailer i was just like what in the world uh so it's an action rpg slash like um zombie horde sort of game that plays both as like action combat but also third person shooter but also bullet hell with like driving mechanics and maybe some crafting i forget might have been shown in there and it's just it got a really interesting vibe it's got some like it's i don't know i'm trying to figure out yeah that's literally how to describe it Apparently, there's like it's got like some deliberate references to game to to things like Kill Bill and things like that, which honestly are lost on me because I haven't seen those movies. There, there are some devious references and deep cuts in there. It's like, oh my god, they put this in here. <laughs> there was a VHS tape with growing pains. <laughs> like what is that showing? Oh, like the yeah. Eng- uh, when did that show release? Like it's like an 80s, 90s show. Let's see. Uh, Chow, you'll you'll get this reference because we're both brain damaged. Where like they they um they showed the you know the 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 infamous Japanese pool scene that like in that white room the Japanese pool that people make a fucking reference of because it's like it's like a popular spot for JAVs and like that environment is in that game <laughs> in that trailer I'm like what I'm like okay that's that's a choice <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, I'm watching this trailer. Like I'm just watching it now because now you like mentioned this thing. I'm just like watching. It. I'm actually totally hyped for this game. It has like all the things that, it has all the thing I was craving for. You know, like me and my best friend growing up as kids. Like this is like hitting all that nostalgia. You know, for those okay. things that we make fun of. And that, so the thing about this, and I didn't uh, realize it after the trailer. I was like, talking about it with some friends. It's like the the music in this trailer is not actually like a Showa era song it's just a popular song in china <laughs> yes that song is a chinese song yeah so this is a yeah. chinese developer making a game set in america after it had been like economically bought out by japan so like what a weird like mixture you end up there so uh 
this this is the first paragraph of the uh basically the press release that accompany this reveal trailer show us 66 japan has bought out most of the united states with its strong economic power a surge of immigration has firmly planted japanese culture within the american continent the two cultures are rapidly amalgamated Although conflicts are inevitable, citizens gradually adapt to a new life, never imagined as time goes by. And like, I, I want to keep reading because that doesn't explain anything about like the zombies and the post-apocalyptic stuff. Uh-huh. Like, that, or uh-huh. I guess that, I'll, I'll just keep going. However, a mysterious catastrophe, or sorry, catastrophic incident changes the world drastically. The social order is long gone. An unknown amount of time has passed. A teenage girl mysteriously revives from the dead, only to find a brand new wild post-apocalyptic world with zombies, monsters, and human survivors. Uh, so... The game, honestly, like as it doesn't look like it plays very well. It looks really janky, and it's got some really wacky stuff in it. But it kind of it kind of falls in like the same thing as like that Stranger of Paradise stuff, where it's like I I still kind of want to play it despite all that. And yeah, I, there's no other game that I can really figure out how to compare this to. Like, and if, if you were if you if you wanted your uh, first impression to like be a bang and like get eyes on it, this is probably a good way to do it if for better or worse you know for better or worse it's like all right <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm strangely looking forward to it. just like i'm so curious now so uh this game has no set release timetable it is uh got listed platforms of playstation 4 and 5 and pc but not guaranteed for this year or any year uh nothing other than this initial three minute trailer so it looks honestly yeah, I... very stupid but in, in the good type in the good way yeah i, I recommend if you everyone to like fucking watch that trailer at, at least enjoy the trailer you don't have to play the game just enjoy the trailer it'll take three minutes yeah. it's like what so. uh, a couple other uh small announcements to round out the year uh we did get during uh ces the announcement of the playstation vr2 which I'm not a big VR enthusiast, but I know they revealed a ton of details there about the capabilities and people have been comparing it to like the Rift 2 and the Valve Index and how it how it has like a better resolution than those, but it has you know, how, how it stacks up. And it seems like it stacks up very favorably. Uh, one, of the, one of the announcements alongside the PSVR 2 announcement was a new VR experience uh, for the Horizon series to kind of dovetail off of um, Horizon Forbidden West. This is Horizon Call of the Mountain, now, honestly, they didn't hardly show anything. They showed like eight seconds of footage. And obviously showing footage of a VR game in a trailer is difficult. It just looks like first person horizon. Uh, you don't play as Aloy, but you will meet her. Um, that's basically all that we know. So I don't know if anyone's super excited for this, but I'm also not a big VR buff. So maybe I'm not the person to, to talk about it much. I'm actually now interested in getting a V uh, uh, this PSVR two because of it's like it, you're no longer bound by the PlayStation Move controller tracking, for example. It's all uh, headset based controller tracking, and that the fact that it's a simple it's a single cord setup now with this yeah PS, single uh, USB right yeah yeah legit the only reason I don't use my PSVR more often is the whole setup is just yep. a pain in the ass yeah. So it's I'm really excited to see like the capability like this is like this might be the time for me to like, get into VR now that like if it's just a single cord and you just plug into your PS5 and that's it like hell yeah you know yeah why not so at the that specs point. the one thing to consider is it's definitely going to be at least like 400 500 bucks yeah it's going to be fucking expensive but it you know but even the PSVR is still highly regarded as like one of the better like entry level experiences in that VR space so Hopefully, what like, to, uh, sorry. What happened to your PC? Is the best choice still the Oculus kind of thing, or 
I'm just the curious. best choice for PC has always been either the um, HTC Vive or the Valve Index. Oh. Yeah, unfortunately, that, the, 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 the thing you're missing is that, that there are some like Quest Two, like or Quest exclusive games like Resident Evil Four. Like that's the big thing about that. I, I don't think I don't think there's a way to like kind of get access to the Quest exclusive games with. The other yeah. VR devices. Well, I, I would just buy a VR headset because I want to play Resident Evil Village with it or something like that. That's what I'm. Because there's mods for them now, yeah. Like I wouldn't care about about the. Wait, does does Village have VR support or was that modded in? Uh, no, they're modding but... in VR support to um, the RE Engine games on PC. Wait, like, like say, like Monster Hunter, for example. Like, would that be possible? Well, I mean, it's RE Engine, so I, if somebody wanted to do it for Rise, they probably could. That'd be fucking crazy. <laughs> Just like, hey, put it on and throw. <laughs> Just like, oh man, with the wire bugs and the way yeah. that if they if they mapped like the camera angles to the player's face, oh god, when you do a somersault, just instantly throw up. But if like if you're mounting a monster and it's, uh, the way the fucking camera would shake as you're mounting the monster, like mm, this is, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. I didn't know they were they were modding in uh, VR support for RE Engine games. Now I'm really interested to see like how that shapes up. But yeah, like. Like I said, like with the, the, this PSVR two, if it's just if it's backwards compatible, like I might be like, this might be the type for me to get into VR now, just with just a very simple setup. Here's something that I'll have to rely on Josh to elucidate on. Uh, so we did talk about how uh, Delightworks, its game publishing studio, is being bought out by Aniplex and now being under the new name Lassengel. But that's yeah, so- kind of all I know. So yes, yeah, this, this is a weird carry. thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Yoshinori Ono used to be at Capcom. Then he moved over to the Lightworks last year as the president of the Lightworks um, and the chief operating officer. And like one of the big moves now uh, coming out of that is they're basically um, they they made a whole separate division called Lasengul that will take over the entirety of the Lightworks's game business, and that obviously includes Fate Grand Order, which is their big one. And Aniplex has always been uh, working uh, alongside, like as a as a uh, partner, uh, yeah, behind like you know anything, pretty much anything that like is type moon related these days, like like with the um, like the Fate movies and the Fate series, like Aniplex is the one that published those like uh, anime stuff or and releases them. Um, even if it's like like uh, like UFO Table Studio related, like uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Demon Slayer. Like they're involved with that studio that like you know uh, produces these things. So Aniplex is like kind of has like is like a shadow leader uh, over the whole operation. But now it's like it's like formalized that like they'll be the ones directly responsible. It's like no longer just the Lightworks. They're kind of like cutting out the Lightworks out of the picture, and they're kind of just like owning it uh, on that so under a new name, Lasengel. So it's a really interesting move. And I, I bet you one of the things that really the, a catalyst for this move was the big, 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 gigantic failure of Sakura Kakame from the Lightworks uh, last year when that closed down really fucking early, like just to a, a point where it's like, oh my god, we lost so much fucking money on this thing. It probably made Anaplex step in and like, okay, um, you're not doing this anymore. <laughs> you're never, never going to make a decision like this ever again. Um, we're going to take over. So... I I don't know what that entails for like the future of like 
the Fate Grand Order mobile game and the future would be the Lightworks future project because they don't really have other other than Fate Grand Order, like the Lightworks has like no other like game. They they do some board game stuff. Um but yeah, I haven't they do nothing else besides FGO these days. So hey, you, you know they added pity in FGO. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, it's always had pity. You only have to have like some. No, but now you got an actual pity from. But the from pity, that, like the, the way they put it, is so fucking stupid too. So it's like they added pity, and then like, and then the way they added it was like it's like basically spitting on your face, like you know. So. Okay, I mean, I guess they did, yeah, but it's so stupid. So e- either way, like, I'm. I wonder. I wonder how this will affect FGO going forward because it's still pretty successful in Japan, even though like 2021 was their one of their weakest years. Um, but it still makes a shit ton of money. Just because you had a weak year doesn't mean you stop making a lot of money. It's still making tons of money. Um, it's it does make it does make you question though. Like all it takes is for like Aniplex now to be like mm, we're not really do- making much profit in these regions where FGO is operating. They can easily they they that that makes it more like likely that like if Aniplex decides hey this is not doing well, they have less barriers to go through to be like mm, let's just shut it down in that region. Potentially, you know, that there's there's all just potential scenarios because obviously they're still making money out of those regions, but nothing makes as much money as like the Japanese release of FGO. <laughs> Japan pours a lot of money into it. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, best of luck. Um, uh, as for the other uh, other not FGO stuff for the light race, I mean, um, Melty Blood is still ongoing. It'll have its two new DLC characters for free coming soon. And there's still a lot of projects that, you know, I'm, I'm sure they want to pursue. In late 2020, uh, we were promised that we were going to get a lot of news, or maybe not a lot necessarily, but more news about Final Fantasy 16. We even listed it as basically a wishful thinking release for uh, 2021. Of course, that never happened. Um, in 2021, we did get like one small news uh, about halfway through the year about facial capture and voice recording but that was pretty much it and it was always kind of like well we were we were told we were going to get more before the end of the year uh there's not much time left well december basically almost closed out and kind of unsurprisingly uh we learned that that was going to get delayed and that the game itself had experienced some production troubles stemming from, of course, the pandemic, uh, the ongoing COVID-19 situation. Uh, so we got a, a letter in late December from the producer, Naoki Yoshida, basically apologizing that there wasn't going to be any more information on Final Fantasy 16 in 2021. Uh, the pandemic had delayed the game's development by about a half year, though, you know, obviously to stay tuned because we are expecting more information in spring of this year of 2022 so kind of not surprising and i think yoshida obviously by helming final fantasy 14 and and walker and Shadowbringers, and has had built up so much you know respect and admiration that people are i saw no response to this letter that wasn't anything other than absolutely like 100 fully understanding about you know we've all had to deal with the pandemic ourselves in our own ways and final fantasy 16 information comes second to like the health and well-being of their employees and working through the pandemic and making sure that what they're going to present to us at some point this year, hopefully, you know, lives up to, you know, the expectations of the fans and the quality level that they want to reach. So we got that information in late December. We don't know specifically when we're going to hear more about Final Fantasy 16, but it, they are slated or expecting something in spring. Yeah. God, God bless Yoshi P dude. He, he's like, 
one of the most transparent people out there that like if anything's going on with with the games that he's helming like he's very transparent with the fan base and the and the user base like hey here's what's going on we're really sorry but he's like he, like he's like not afraid to like go into specifics and i'm glad that like he's allowed to you know because i imagine a lot of people in square enix would like to have that privilege and you know a lot of square enix members probably don't want to have that while Yoshida has probably built enough like goodwill and reputation and to just like be free about that and be real with people and be like hey you know mm-hmm. this is tough like game development is fucking hard right now uh more so than ever before so to, go for it sorry not to mention that he's also on the board of directors so that probably helps yeah yeah i forgot about this he's on the board of directors too so you know i'm uh, like you know i'm really really glad that the way he delivered this message was just you know it, it wasn't it wasn't like a very vague like Oh, you know, ongoing circumstances are like delaying it. It's like it was it wasn't it wasn't like a one or two sentence or like even just a paragraph thing. It was like, hey, here's a letter and here's kinda step by step what's going on, and it's been really hard. And it wasn't the only letter that we got to bring in the new year from a Square Enix executive. So uh we also got a letter from the president of Square Enix wishing us a happy 2022. Uh, Yusuke Matsuda about uh, the upcoming, you know, admiration or aspirations for Square Enix for the new year. So, how do I even broach this subject? So, here, here are the first sentence and a half of the New Year's letter from the president of Square Enix. I would like to begin by wishing everyone a happy new year. The metaverse was a hot topic in 2021, and it just goes on from there. So this letter has obviously already made the rounds. I'm not going to be too coy about it. The whole letter is about, uh, you know, NFTs and, you know, blockchain technology and how Square Enix is looking deeply, deeply into these on how to incorporate these into their products, how to kind of phase out people who play to have fun versus people who play to contribute both terms used in the letter <laughs> oh god <laughs> i still uh, laugh at it it still makes me laugh <laughs> i've read this like at least 10 times and it still we understand that there are people that prefer to play the game just for fun however <laughs> yeah, that however is carrying like like an atlas level of just weight oh, on geez. it uh yeah. So obviously this letter has such a tone deaf message. It's been lambasted completely. And even by like trying to play devil's advocate, it's hard because like mod, like it sounds like the, the, the plurality of this letter is basically about like how to help passion. I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to play like, so devil's advocate here and thread this needle, how to help passionate, like hobbyists, give them incentive to contribute to effectively like modding these games to give them like life beyond their initial release with explicit incentives. And this way, this using this blockchain technology will help motivate them. But this is all done under the preface of like those people who play to have fun, like whatever, like, yeah, they, they'll understand eventually. (laughs) I can only speak for myself, but as someone that does have friends that are game devs that have talked about this at length, no, like that's a trap that people fall into, but nobody, absolutely nobody has given an actual like 
workable use case for NFTs in gaming. Like nothing that they say, oh, decentralization. It's like, no, that would require every single developer to basically decide, okay, we're all going to make like 3D. We're going to use the same 3D models and stuff for certain NFTs or whatever to be used in all of our games. And that's not going to fucking happen. It just won't. Fellas, imagine imagine podcasting with people who play to have fun. Can't be me. Jesus. You know, can't. uh can't enjoy something for fun if you can't have a monetary incentive out the back end you know that's you got to yeah. monetize our our oh, hobbies yeah. oh, come on what, if, what are you doing if you want me to hold back the, mo- the, the honestly and this is me holding back the most like the kindest response i can have to that letter is at least they didn't announce actual nfts <laughs> right i mean they, they already have nfts they have million arthur um, yeah that's their nft they, game yeah, i, don't know, I love how they call it nfts and it's like it just shows how half fast the entire idea is because that's not nfts i, I mean they're, they're doing NFTs for like the, the series like i think it's like virtual yeah. cards or card, some card thing like i don't really keep up with it but i know million arthur is like their ex- yeah. has been their experiment for like the past year maybe year and a half with it, and I guess it's been doing well enough for them to for the president to be like, "All right, time to get into the metaverse." Like, oh. I, I just hate how how it's dragging Yoshi P's good name with with their company with his message. You know, it's, like mean, everyone... it's, it's, it's so weird, right? Because like 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 there are some companies now that like they're still gonna dabble with it, but then they're like, "Well, if it doesn't do well, we'll get out of it." Like Sega, for example, just recently said, "Well, we're gonna dabble with it, but if like the response is bad to it, then I guess we'll pull out. But only if the response is bad." <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be bad, but I don't know. Maybe it's Japan thing. Japan seems to be more receptive of it. But yeah, that that that's what it is. It's like it's like the 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 how NFTs are perceived in like Japan versus like us in the West. Is like it's it's relatively more neutral or or positive, that depending on the messaging over there and how that's delivered, and it's generally more seen as like an okay thing, for better yeah. or worse. Which is you know, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough thing to break because that because that, that now that sentiment is now obviously. Uh, bleeds into like investors of those, like, you know, not even just game companies, just companies in general in Japan. So investors are going to be like, "What's your answer to NFTs? Do you have a plan for NFTs?" You know, and of course, you have to answer to the investors. So of course, you're going to be like, "Yes, we do. We are, we're starting to have initiatives looking into it." And I- I'm sure for some of these companies or some of the people in these companies are like hoping the way that the way to cleanly get out of that for uh, for them in relation to investors is experiment with it but like hopefully it fails in a way that they 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 can say to investors hey we dabbled into it and these are the results the results are not good we're gonna pull out that's the way to like probably get out of it now cleanly with investors these days i can't let this letter go without reading like this section about user-generated content and it's like traditional gaming has offered no explicit incentive for this latter group of people, people who play to contribute, who were motivated strictly by inconsistent personal feelings such as goodwill and volunteer spirit. <laughs> and like, and then user-generated content has been brought into being solely because in, of individuals' desire for self-expression and not because of explicit incentive existed to reward them for their creative efforts, i.e. monetary compensation. It's like, I don't know. It feels. It just feels kind of gross. That like, how dare like these 
these hobbyists how they're they're producing the stuff and you know out of goodwill out of out of passion and it's it's oh, just there's no <laughs> passion in capitalism <laughs> i'm gonna turn that trail guy into an nft guys support me guys you're gonna turn it to a monkey then no i said i'll NFT. turn it into nft Okay. Next trails guy will be NFT. It's like you'll buy a page of a token to get the full guide. <laughs> just remember though, they won't actually own the guide. They'll just own a receipt saying that they own the guide. Or that yeah. page. Yeah. So the, uh, the the feedback to this, at least from my perspective, has been really negative, though I don't think Square Enix has given any sort of while Sega has sort of said like we'll take a slow approach, we'll wait and see. I don't think I've seen anything from Square Enix like doubling like not in, in either direction either doubling down or pulling back it's just this letter is just kind of where it stands as of right now yeah, well, well, um haven't ubisoft haven't already done this they already done it and it failed miserably in their face they, they've, they're doing their quartz thing with what ghost recon and i've seen reports saying that it's basically like not making money or like the transactions are within a very small population of people and it's yeah it's been incubating for like three years like they've been like there's a lot of you know resources behind it and it hasn't paid off but I, i've only seen that from the fringes because i don't i'll be honest i don't care about ghost recon exactly i uh, hope hopefully you know it just th- doesn't work out for them whatever their efforts are going to be hopefully that doesn't like bleed into like big headliner projects like ff16 or, or 14 NFTs at four kill. My God! The, the, the moment they do that, I on sub and never look back. Holy shit! If they, I didn't even think about that. Oh my God. That'd be, but most people say there's nothing to worry. The game is too spaghetti code to put something like this in. <laughs> oh, good! Thank goodness. Oh, great. So yeah, I mean, we won't really see this pan out until like I'm sure later to the year, if not into next year, depending on how they decide to implement stuff. Hopefully, not into anything we care about or not at all. But, um, yeah. Oh. People, people are over. I'm sure people are hoping they can just like bully them out of it, like how they did with the stalker devs. <laughs> <Central. laughs> um, you know, God bless. We did get another letter from a studio head. This is uh from Bioware studio manager Gary McKay, I believe. Yeah, Gary McKay, and about Bioware, the state of Bioware, and looking ahead. And this letter has honestly a lot less interesting (laughs) interesting one way to describe the previous letter there's a lot less to chew on here from the bioware letter it opens up with some you know typical talk about how it's been a challenge the last couple years about uh the pandemic not only pandemic but how their austin studio was affected by the snowpocalypse last winter in texas uh and then they talk about basically what to expect for uh this year the interesting thing is, is that out of all there, there are no real announcements in this letter. I mean, and I don't think you should have expected one. But the first game that Bioware brings up in this letter is a new expansion to the Old Republic, which I'm not saying is good or bad. It's just interesting. Like, oh, like that's still like a priority for them. It's the first game that they bring up here. So um, uh, Star Wars, the Old Republic Legacy of the Sith is releasing on February 15th. They're talking about how they're excited for that release. And then the, the two ones that we're most interested in about them being at hard at work at on Dragon Age and Mass Effect. The only thing that they have here is a sentence saying, for Dragon Age, we have a veteran group of talented developers working on the next iteration of the franchise. We are focused on a single-player experience that is built on choices that matter. So I guess it's kind of anyone that was worried that it was going to be like 
anthemized or multiplayer or something. Seems like no, they are doubling down on a single player game, which I believe they've said before. But, you know, it feels like the Dragon Age 4 news has been so drip feed since like 2018 that there's really there's really no meat on the bone there to chew from. As for Mass Effect, they just say, like, remember that poster we released on uh, November 7th as part of N7 Day? Well, there's some Easter eggs in it. So take a look at it again. And I think uh, Andrea wrote a uh, a feature on the site about kind of digging into that poster and what we might be able to glean from it. So uh, we've already done our due diligence there. Uh, but Mass Effect and Dragon Age, still hard at work. That's basically what we get for Bioware. Other than that, they are, you know, the letter's pretty boilerplate. Tangentially related um, that I didn't put on the doc, but since it is EA related, um, that like the, there have been recent rumors that we might be hearing soon of like a Jedi Fallen Order 2. Uh, All right. Yeah, so that that info came from Jeff Grubb. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll see uh, where, where that if that uh, ends up being true or not. But that was uh that was literally the game that made EA go, man, maybe single player games are good. Yeah, man, man, maybe this isn't a bad idea. Uh, so well, well, hopefully you know it's uh, they strike gold again with it, and uh, it turns out well for uh, that uh, that game, that sequel. We also got a very 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 short letter. From the ESA, the uh, you know the the group behind E3, which has been obviously canceled two years ago and digital only last year, uh, the letter reads as follows: Due to the ongoing health risks survive surrounding COVID nineteen and its potential impact on the safety of exhibitors and attendees, E3 will not be held in person in twenty twenty two. We remain cr- incredibly excited about the future of E three and look forward to announcing more details soon. So no E three again this year for th- no in person E three again this year for three years in a row. Uh, some people have reported on this as saying like E3 2022 will be digital again, but that's not, as far as I can tell, explicitly stated. People are just kind of gleaning when they said will not be held in person in 2022. Uh, I think like we've, we've talked about E3 a few times on this podcast and how as a networking event, it can't be beat even if like the functional like utility of the event has diminished even before the pandemic situation. So we will obviously miss, uh, you know, the chance to meet up and you know network in that sense yeah, the digital the, the, uh, that was the like really that's the real value about e3 it's like there's no other event or like thing like any at any part of the year for like as big as e3 for like for the whole entire games industry just be at one spot you know that there, there is some like events in europe that do have that but they don't like in my for my outsiders eyes like it, it feels like e3 is the one that really garnished that more fully or so they did hold a uh, the digital E3 last year, and I remember signing up for it, and then I like I never looked at it again. It was pointless. So I have no idea if they're going to do that again this year, but I won't do it if they do. Just whatever whatever Jeff Keighley puts together for Summer of Gaming or whatever all the other uh, state of plays or Nintendo Directs or publisher-related streams that they put up in June time period will cover as we always do, but no E3 this year. But I feel like the longer that's the case, the less people miss it. But I'm remembering now that like like your experience last year, the digital E3, they had like this whole like back end structure interface where like you can like set up an avatar mm-hmm. and like try to interact with people there. I literally <laughs> logged into it once and never again because it was the this pointless. is like yeah, it was pointless, but how one one thing that, uh, that several of our contributors have been able to experience is a lot of these like remote preview sessions, uh, sometimes through Discord. And what's the other one that uh, George was able to do uh, with the? Uh... There's a few. There's a few different uh, uh, softwares out there that are basically like 
you get to play this game streamed off of our servers onto your computer. There's like Shadow is one, and there's another I can't remember. Yeah, and it's worked decently well. It's and like obviously in the in the era of Stadia, that sounds like a weird thing to say. Like I'm not surprised, but it's like there's just another another kind of nail in the coffin that says like, do we need E3 anymore? Yes, the networking aspect is valuable. But when, you know, the software tools have made these, you know, alternative experiences more and more viable, that one of us covering a game here in the United States can do a preview event from a publisher in Europe through a streaming system like Discord or Shadow. There's a lot that we can still accomplish, but, you know, obviously we miss meeting in person and we always will. So hopefully we'll still have the opportunity to do that at some venue in the future. But, you know, things are still murky as we are in the year of. 2020 part two or part three at this point so that kind of covers it for like the main topics that were announced in either early january or throughout the month of december after we had our last podcast uh actually some of these upcoming topics are still also pretty big so let's just keep going we'll just keep rolling through these we talked about uh the saga series and koazu at square enix earlier in the podcast we talked obviously about the pc ports of the first three games we talked briefly about saga scarlet grace being a, a semi-recent release that we had all the accolades on a few years ago koazu did tease for this year that the saga series uh will be coming back in a big way or at least starting to oh and i don't want to forget the uh, obviously the saga frontier remastered from last year did win our best re-release for 2021 akatoshi kawazu the, the manager of the series has teased that we will be seeing multiple titles in the saga series in a new game a remaster and a remake all is it implied all for this year or starting this year it was well maybe james or somebody like in terms of the Japanese, but it seemed like it was more just we are going to be starting on these this year, not necessarily completing them. But I don't know if the Japanese nuance might be more specified than that. Where, where was it, the original it, quote? It sounded like, as I look it up here, it sounded like he said basically the confirmation of we are working on a remake, a remaster, and a new game. But I don't know if he's like it, they're this, all coming this, out this, this, this year. was a this was a tweet from Kawazu from. Uh, December 30th. So the, so, the, the translation right. we've got is he's very much looking forward to the new year, noting that Saga is in full swing with a remaster, a remake, and a new game. And he's, this is something he's kind of teased at. So when Saga Frontier Remaster released last April, they had like a launch live stream. And even then, way back, like almost, you know, nine months ago or whatever, he said, we are working on a new game. Like yes. back then. So basically what he's saying is, is that they're continuing um, work on a remaster, remake, and a new title. Um, and he hopes to uh, deliver good news this year. He's going to try his best to deliver good, good news. Yeah, so in terms of like new title, Saga Scarlet Grace is the most recent title. It released in 2016 for Vita. And then later we got like the port version that's called Ambitions for that released on basically everything else, right? And that's the most recent game, and that was 2019. So we got confirmation that they're making a new game. We not it hasn't really been announced. It's been like pre-announced. Uh, in terms of remaster, I feel like a lot of people are expecting Saga Frontier 2 because they did the first one. They can do the second one. Apparently, you know, the second one is I've never actually played it, but from what I can tell, it's more like a 2D like drawn game, like sprites rather than like models or anything. So it's the type of game I figure probably, and it sounds like it's pretty much feature complete. Chow has played it, I assume, right? So Yeah, I beat it too. 
And I, so it sounds like that seems like right for a remaster. In terms of remake, the speculation, like maybe Romancing Saga 1 again, maybe Unlimited Saga. No, no, no remake. It better be a remaster. <laughs> <laughs> no, no touch perfection. I, uh, I, I, I would be really just see how the fuck you would remake Unlimited Saga. <laughs> I don't know what you'd do with Unlimited Saga. <laughs> if Kawasu fixes Unlimited Saga somehow, he gets some kind of reward from me. I, 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 I had to praise this, man. It's like, there is nothing you could do to fix this game. Oh my god. He's a complimentary yeah, guy. We have a, we'll have a special uh, developer of the year award go to Okoazu if he does it. The absolute madman. In a very similar sort of announcement, we also got a Twitter post from the uh, Bravely Default official twitter page basically the twitter page for team asano which is kind of like the overarching studio that partners with others to do the bravely default series and uh octopath traveler and the upcoming triangle strategy so they posted a new year's message on twitter basically saying that they outside of even triangle strategy they plan to announce and release multiple titles and projects this year they are also heading up the announced dragon quest 3 hd 2d remake as well as some mobile games that are currently uh, out in japan like the octopath traveler champs of the continent and the bravely default brilliant lights so while there's no well, brilliant lights isn't out yet but oh but it's games. only only slated for japan no announcement for the west yeah. right so the two so then two announced titles our triangle strategy and dragon quest three, but it sounds like they are planning to tease multiple titles to be announced and released in 2022. Very similar to the, this is just pure speculation, but like they're obviously releasing triangle strategy, right? Like that's coming out. I doubt that's going to be moving, but mm -hmm. um, in terms of like announcing and releasing multiple more, like that seems kind of surprising. I just so I my like P2D stuff, like remakes. My and... my assumption is like maybe there's like ports in there, like maybe a bravely default one port for PC or Switch or something. I don't know. Um, like something that I'm thinking like smaller scale or you know, you know, something that allow them to release multiple without like you know, because that's a lot of dev time if they're all brand new games, or maybe maybe they're smaller scale. Maybe there have been one thing. I'm, this is again pure speculation, but there's rumors of like a Final Fantasy Tactics remake or a Tactics Ogre remake. Like uh, they're already working on Dragon Quest Three remake, so it's like maybe oh, they're I didn't, doing, I didn't, I didn't even think heading up those like, as well from like the Nvidia uh, leaks and how they might be. Yeah, like, hmm. right. So it's like who knows? But multiple titles to be announced and released. It's like it's surprising. Um, and we we still don't know when Dragon Quest Three is going to be released. I think we mentioned that earlier. Just no, just we know it exists, and that's basically it. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely one of the more interesting teams to keep an eye on. They they have a lot of cool stuff in the works. Oh, I, I just want to say I love like the art style they've embraced for Team Asano. Yeah, like, this sort of chibi art. It's just so cute. That yeah, is. Here's something I'll have to lean on Adam for, uh, but we got the uh, announcement of a new uh, final expansion for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This is Dawn of Ragnarok. And the interesting about part about this is, A, we, we kind of talked about Valhalla actually in a decently positive light when we were talking about ongoing support in the Game of the Year podcast because it's had decent amount of it and in in a way that's not like fixing issues or like patching up things, actually adding a bunch of new content uh, with Wrath of the Druids and Siege of Paris. 
But Dawn of Ragnarok is another expansion, and there will also be crossover stories that basically cross-pollinate the characters of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which basically obviously had the popular protagonist Cassandra kind of front and center in this crossover will be playable in Valhalla's, you know, whatever this DLC ends up looking like. So, Adam, are you excited about this? So, the I'm being interesting kind of thing about... <laughs> coy, well, yeah. I think the re- the support they've given Assassin's Creed Valhalla is pretty good. I mean, I'd probably like it more if I liked the, just the game itself more. But the interesting thing about this newest expansion, Dawn of Ragnarok, is that it's $40. Like, that's... That's like a, almost like games are priced at forty dollars, not like AAA, but you know it's not a it's not an unreasonable price for a full game forty dollars. The, the other day, DLCs, I'd used to yeah, be. the other DLCs were twenty dollars each. Um, so it's like I guess this is going to be even more of an expansion than the previous two DLCs. So it's like a pretty meaty add-on that they're putting here, like, and that's it's interesting to me because you don't see that all too often. These days, you see some of these small DLCs or whatever, but it's like a pretty significant add-on here. And I'll probably play it. It's out of a completionist tendency to play it because I played the rest, so why not? Have you but, played Siege of Paris? Yeah. Oh, I didn't it's realize okay. you. I knew, I knew you did Wrath of the Druids. I didn't know you did Siege of Paris. <laughs> How do you feel about the crossover stories, Adam? I never played Odyssey, so I have no attachment to Cassandra. <laughs> So these crossover ones are free DLC so that you don't have to buy uh, Donna Ragnarok to get them. Now, is it just Cassandra and Valhalla or are they actually updating Odyssey with this too? It's both. Oh, There's that's interesting. Ivor in cool. Odyssey and Cassandra in Valhalla. I don't know if they're both out. I don't know. But they, they're, they're, there's basically like each game gets its crossover event. Oh, yeah, they are both out. The crossover story is actually released on December 14th. You can tell that I follow these very closely. Uh, the crossover uh, event with the Assassin's Creed 1 guy. He's my favorite. I'll tell you. Yeah, and yeah. then, uh, and then uh, the Dawn of Ragnarok releases in on March 10th. So, like two weeks after Elden Ring. <laughs> I love the Elden Ring. We don't we don't need a calendar. We just like what is its proximity? Yeah, yeah, everything's just everything's relative to that release date. Uh here's a late edition from renowned Speaking developer. Ring. Yeah, <laughs> from software. Mm-hmm. Uh do you remember remember Armored Core? Remember I that? I always remember it. Twenty four seven. I remember I have fond memories. He dreams it. Josh, give me the context here. Is Armored Core Six confirmed, or are people just um, you know, is this the Kool Aid? It is the most. It is the most. Don't give me hope. Uh, <laughs> rumor, but uh, apparently, a Somerset user read licorice or whatever. I don't know if he's this. Uh, supposedly, this person's credible. I don't know. Um, they received a survey from From Software on an, an, an unannounced mech combat game. Um, and it's uh described to be uh, a sci fi world created by Miyazaki, three dimensional dynamic action, blah blah blah. And then, like, they they kind of gave uh, like you know, uh, some uh, description about like what this new thing is gonna be, and it's gonna have mechs, and um, it's gonna be more like, but it's gonna be more like the Souls series, so it's gonna be like maybe Souls like flow to it with an armored core aesthetic and skin over it i'm not sure which a lot of people <laughs> actually want that like that actually sounds conceptually cool on paper 
but you know it's just the the that thing of like hey are they working after elden ring what is from software doing um so it's just a, a new rumor that's uh, uh popped up literally just this morning the morning of this recording uh of like hey is is from software working on armored core 6 I, so, I won't. I will. I, I will not believe anything until I see it for myself. Until it's officially announced. But you know, it's one of those things. It's like. So I'm on, not a big on. Armored Core fan, but I played two of the games. I played Armored Core Two: Another Age and Armored Core Four: For Answer, and I really mm-hmm. ended up enjoying both. Like, if I had gone back to like miss get the ones that I missed, uh, I think the only reason I never played Verdict Day was because it had like a, a more focus on online like clan battles or something like that, yeah, and not as much single player. Focused. Yeah. So, like, I, that's the only reason I skipped that. And I never played... Oh, what was the mech game that was Switch and then went to PC in the last hey, year and a half? Oh, yeah, I never played that just because the aesthetic never really, like... Yeah, I get it. Just never, like, spoke to me. But Armored Core 6, if it reportedly exists, like, who knows how far along it is, even if this is even true. Yeah. But uh, for whatever reason, that's just, like, safe to me. Like, all right. This, I can go back and try this because I know I've experienced Armored Core before in a limited capacity and really enjoyed it. So I would go back for six. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see. Like, technology has gone far and wide ever since the la- last we've heard from Armored Core, which is like converting these 2012. Like oh, yeah, 2012, like 2013. Yeah. So I'd be really, and you know, from Software has learned a lot of things in, in development and what works and what doesn't uh, since then. Um, I'd, be, I'd be stoked if that was real. But I will not get my hopes up for anything until until From Software tells me to my face, yes, we are playing. If Miyazaki rung my doorbell and be like, yes, Josh, we're fucking making Armored Core Six, you'd I'd be like, like, show me the receipts. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I won't. I'm sure I won't fucking tell anyone. You just gonna have to let show me something. And he's like, here, this is sickest shit ever. I'm like, okay, you're still alright. I remember a while back, like one of the From Software staff just put like an armored core header on his twitter bio or something similar to it just because he liked it and people were like taking it on it as as, like confirmation of a new game you're like no no no, i just like it people are thirsty adam (laughs) they want armored core i do feel feel for game developers just want to like express themselves on social media like the biggest like yeah like i'm proud of what i did on armored core so i'm gonna put it in my header or anything sakurai likes yeah exactly i'm gonna reference sakurai like 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 sakurai literally after the last dlc character came out for smash all he's like he he found social media it's like it it feels good to like be able to say things i get on my social media Without people pestering me about, is this a fucking DLC tease or whatever for Smash Ultimate? Because he wasn't able to basically say about anything he liked yeah. because people would assume it was a tease. Yeah, which I feel for that guy. For multiple reasons. The way he fucking develops games is like fucking insane. But yeah, it's just, I, I always feel for game developers who are able to like express themselves as freely as they want because people are crazy. All right, uh, we have some sales updates from the last month, and and for no reason at all, I'm going to go from these from highest number of sales to lowest number of sales, just because uh, I'm a Chaos Gremlin. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, remember that game? It has now oh. sold four and a half million copies, which that's a lot. Of- I don't know, like Dragon Ball is a big IP, and dragon ball yeah the people see dragon ball they eat it up like dragon ball fighters is like one of the most successful recent fighting games solely because of that ip i mean it's a good it's a cool fighting game but like it has really bad net code but 
Dragon Ball cells. So it's cool to see that, you know. Yeah, so uh, in March 2020, that's when we got a first sales report of Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. I remember when George was so excited for that game. I miss that guy. Uh, that At that point, it had sold 2 million units. Since then, it had a Switch launch in September of last year, and it's had like the DLC, like the trunk stuff, and some of the Dragon Ball Super stuff added to it. And so 4.5 million. Uh, I'm kind of not surprised because, you know, Dragon Ball is a big IP, and it's so it ends up at the top of the list of the recent yeah, sales I, updates. I remember, I remember Cullen saying that like Kakarot surprisingly had like a really good Switch port. Like he really liked the Switch release of Kakarot. Yeah, he even uh, streamed it in the uh, staff chat for a bit, and it like I can definitely vouch that the port looks really good. <laughs> Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity has surpassed four million units sold, and it was already the best Warriors game sailing, right, Adam? Yeah, like in its first week. Yeah, I think it sold like three million in a week. Oh, so it's uh, and then uh, like another million over the course of a year. Still, that's like ridiculous. (laughs) So, yeah, three, uh, three, yeah, three million within its launch week. By March of last year, it was three point seven, and then I just over the last nine months, it's kind of just capped out to that nice, you know, even milestone of four million. So. It's, it's, it's a complete antithesis to Kakarot, though. Kakarot has a great Switch port. Calamity doesn't even like even like in its only release on the Switch doesn't have a great version of that running. <laughs> that's, I, the reason, I, that's the reason why I'm having to touch this game after playing it. Though it's like, nah, I'm good on <laughs> this performance. I I remember holiday not this not not this last month, but twelve months prior. I was watching some people play the local co-op of Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, and it was some of the worst that I've seen. Like, people, I think, exaggerate performance issues sometimes, and like, oh, I can't deal with my, you know, uh, 60 FPS, but, you know, bad frame jutter or whatever, but this was, like, sub-20. It was terrible. It was not good. Uh, And, but, you know, Hyrule has, it it does have a really nice art style. It almost, you know, it, I remember when this game was, remember when this game was first announced that we thought it might be, like, this sort of like canon prequel, like legit yeah. Breath of the Wild yeah. tie-in, and then it would and it would be shortly followed up on by an official announcement and release of the sequel. Like I remember, people when this was first announced, there was a there was a lot of genuine excitement for it. And I don't want to say like it's a bad game because I've never really played it, other than barely touching it at a you know at a family gathering once. But it just seems like it kind of like it didn't have any staying power. Well, I don't know if that's even fair either. It sold four million, so. That's, that's a lot of sales. I think. I think it's, I, maybe it's like one of those things, like Roblox, for example. We don't fucking hear about Roblox at all, <laughs> but it has a gigantic fucking following, you know. So maybe Age of Calamity is like one of those things. Like maybe people just like fucking. There's just like a gigantic like fandom for it that just out of our out of our sight. Maybe it's just what else are you gonna play while waiting for the sequel to get any news on it? True. No, uh, I, I guess the correct answer to that is Breath of the Wild again. You can play the new Sonic game, Sonic Rangers or Frontier or whatever the hell it's called. I believe it's called Sonic of the Wild. Oh, no, I don't. I don't think that's true. I believe that. It's it's a, a, a Sonic of the Wild sequel, untitled. <laughs> well, we'll have Pokemon of the Wild in a couple of weeks. Uh, Attack on Titan from Koei Tecmo has sold two point six million 
units and it has a free demo available or i assume it's still available this was posted back in late december so i don't know if there was a time window on that demo uh so this is sort of weird that the demo existed before and then it was delisted now it's back like okay thanks oh neat so this this released in the before times like zach reese wrote our original review for attack on titan 2 back in 2019 so from the before everything 2020 from the from the eon long past from the vestiges of 2019 uh so 2.6 million obviously a pretty big ip with attack on titan uh it's on a ton of platforms including stadia of course so hell yeah but that uh that the final part uh the the real 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 final finale season is like starting to air like tomorrow again attack on titan i think I've seen the first three seasons and then I fell off, but maybe at some point I'll finish it out just um, out of completion's sake. It's kind of interesting. The two games that I want to discuss the most, this kind of kind of shows the bubble that we live in sometimes, uh, are the last two here that have sold the least. Uh, Bravely Default 2 has surpassed 1 million units sold. And obviously this released on Switch back in last uh, February, followed by a semi-surprising uh, PC release in September. So we learned that it had barely just was just under a million uh in september with the or sorry in august right ahead of the the pc release but now it has hit a million and they shared a a cool new illustration again using that art style that adam likes um making the i don't know if this is fair but i feel like it took longer to hit a million than i expected it's like oh it was at nine hundred fifty thousand just before the steam release it it should hit you know a million easily after the steam release right because it just needs fifty thousand, which it should be able to hit just from being a Square Enix game alone. And then it took like four months. Like, huh, that's, you know, that's slower than I would have expected if that's how long it took. I, I feel like the sentiment around the game is like, it's kind of petered out by the time the PC release came out. It's like, it doesn't, it to me, Bravely Default 2 doesn't really have the staying power that like Bravely Default 1 had, it feels like. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was like even reflected on like our game of the year discussion. Yeah, it, it didn't show up in the top 10. I just think it just lost all that magic it used to have. Because when it first came out, the original Bravely Default, you know, Square had this weird obsession with AAA graphics and stuff, and something like a more traditional RPG was unheard of at that time. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, at the very least, Team Asana could say, hey, we, we continue, we, we're pretty pers- uh, consistent on making million sellers. So mm-hmm. that'll probably look good uh, for them in front of Square Enix's eyes. Like, all right. I really wonder how much uh, the Dragon Quest three HD two V remake is gonna sell because that shit is fucking popular in Japan. You did Dra- Dragon Quest three was like the breakout Dragon Quest game over there, <laughs> so I'm really interested to see how that will do. It's still one of the best Dragon Quest games. It is true. It's very good. Uh, it's their FF six really. Uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And finally, Shin Megami Tensei five has surpassed eight hundred thousand units sold which does make it the best selling in the series in the mainline series. So still like it it sounds weird because you have to, again, we've talked about this in a couple different contexts about how we have to contextualize speaking about multi-millions versus high hundred thousand. That's the thing that really irks me about like gaming discussion these days, because a lot of like the the reception to this news is like, Oh, I'm really happy that like a series that I like, like is like a breakout hit. Like to me, like I see that there's like, it's a breakout hit. Now that's awesome. That's really cool. And like for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, what is this? It didn't well, reach a million? Five million. Yeah, it didn't reach a million. Yeah, what the what the hell? Do people like this? It's like 
uh, it really irks me when people say if it doesn't sell a million, then it's a that it's a failure or whatever. It's like, come on, really? So, and uh, at some context, like Shimagami Tensei Four, after being on sale for two years, had reached six hundred thousand. So Shimagami Tensei Five, in like a month and some change, has reached eight hundred thousand. So it'll hit the million now. mark. And obviously, if the rumors for the PC release come true, maybe we'll see something similar to Bravely Default, where it will go past the um, uh, the million mark. I don't know, either quickly or slowly. And I speaking really about, uh, <laughs> really need that PC release. Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, speaking of Switch games that don't perform the best, like, you might say, oh, it's a turn-based RPG, doesn't matter. But man, like, Shin Megami Tensei Five could use a frame rate frame rate boost. It's it was frustrating at times. Still an excellent game. I think it was my number two in the sites. Doesn't have an official runner-up, but it was in the top five and could have contended. But very excellent game. It was our readers' poll winner. Eight hundred thousand is a, obviously a hit for for that mainline series. Switch effect in full effect. Uh, now we'll move on into release dates. So this is kind of appropriate, kind of looking forward to what twenty twenty two will bring and getting some dates assigned for games that didn't have a date before or games that were delayed and we were maybe expecting earlier, but now uh, got pushed back into this year. Uh, I don't think that these are in order, and I'm not going to order them now, so I'll just go through the way we have them listed here. Uh, Relayer, which is the mech strategy RPG that was on our most anticipated list, uh, will release worldwide on March 24th for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. So it was originally going to release in February, but was delayed uh, just a little bit just for polish and to basically confirm that they could get get it as a global release. This is a big like thank God because now it's like not in contention for my time like over Elden Ring, you know. Like it was originally February seventeenth before. I was like, that's a bit too close to comfort for Elden Ring, and now it's like, all right, you're 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 safe and away from Elden Ring. Um, yeah, I'm really interested to. They they finally announced that like yes, this will be like there will actually be worldwide releases on this. It's not just like some weird Japanese only release that has like a bunch of languages. Like no, this will actually have like official worldwide releases. And it's still being, you know, published by Clouded Le- Le- Leopard Inter- uh, Entertainment. So it's um, it's gonna be an interesting release. Like the more I see of it, the more I'm like, all right, sure, why not? And just a little bit of like kind of behind the scenes. Sometimes it's hard to determine like release details exactly because like before a couple of weeks ago when this was officially announced, there was a Japanese press release that basically stated that this game was going to be released worldwide. In English and various languages, so it's like okay, it is, but um, there wasn't like any hard details on like, like, are we sure the Western release date is exactly the same? Or is it who's publishing it in the West? And like, is it Clouded Leopard? Or it was, it's kind of weird. And then finally, they they had like an English press release that basically said, "All right, here it is." Like well after like the Japanese confirmation, so sometimes it gets a little tricky. I believe, I believe it's digital only in the West, but have a, a physical yes, yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. how it's shaking out. It also does that uh, new favorite trend that Japanese developers love to do, where there's a digital premium edition that's um, like the, in this case it's seventy five dollars. It'll have early access to the game for like three days or something. Mm-hmm. God damn it! This, this is a single player game, right? Doctor, by the way, yes, it's a single player game. I just, uh, it just reminds me that Sega did uh, the same thing, but with Nocturne HD remastered. Last oh, time. I forgot about that. And they did it with uh, Judgment too, right? Last Judgment. Um, yeah, yeah. And Persona yeah. Five Strikers. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> what game haven't they done it with? Okay. 
Right, it's a relay. They didn't, virtual... they didn't do the SMT5. They did not do the SMT5. No. That's Nintendo putting their foot down, saying no. We're probably not so. <laughs> yeah, I think so, actually. So March 24th or the 21st, if you're uh, going to pay, what, 75 bucks for the premium content. Yeah. Uh, a couple Switch ports. Uh, Death and Request 2 will launch for Nintendo Switch uh, in February, the 8th in North America and the 11th in Europe. So, fact, uh, Idea Factory is basically just slowly pumping out a Switch port of every one of their games. Yep. Yeah, but also Idea Factory seems like seems infamous on the Switch for not having great running games on the Switch. Yeah. Ark of Alchemist is basically unplayable and can't help <laughs> well, we no, never no. we never like covered it formally, but I know we got someone well, I think Cullen tested out ports of like Mega Dimension which is the fourth main game. And then also like zero uh, dragon star Varnier, which is an idea factory game. And like they, neither of those play well on switch. I don't know. I feel like I should specify because the way I phrased it might make people confused. Ark of Alchemist is unplayable on anything. Don't buy it and <laughs> play it, but it's especially terrible in handheld mode on switch. I happen to like single digit frame rates. Thank you very much. A couple other Switch ports we got. Uh, Arc of Alchemist is? Yep. Yeah. Anyways, Idea Factory Switch ports. Uh, Neptunia, Cross, Center, and Kagura Ninja Wars. Oh, we just talked about that with the feature of the review that went up late last year. Uh, it is releasing for Nintendo Switch and Steam in spring of 2022 uh, for North America and Europe. Can I get that game? Mm. I'm not going to tell you no. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the Japanese title. What was that Japanese title? Nin Nin something. something yeah, something. Yeah, something Nin. Yeah. <laughs> you always get the, the boring titles. Uh, sea of Stars. This was a Kickstarter game from early 2020 from the, uh, the, the creators of The Messenger. That looks like a really cool homage to like 16-bit era RPGs of the past of our childhood that we've had our eyes on for a while. Uh, it was already confirmed to have a PC and consoles release, though they didn't specify which consoles. Uh, during the Nintendo Indie World presentation in December, we did get another trailer for Sea of Stars uh, announcing that it would be coming to Switch uh, for holiday of 2022. So basically the first console announcement out of that generic we will release on consoles. And I guess this is the first time we've had any sort of release window for this game, right, Adam? 2022? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So not only did they say one of the consoles will be releasing on a Switch, but look for it in holiday of 2022. So we mentioned Sea of Stars earlier and like the anticipated discussion. And I just haven't thought about it in a while because, you know, sometimes the length of time between the Kickstarter campaigns and when we see these things, you know, come to fruition ends up being quite a while. This is one where I'm kind of like, I will not be, I will not be surprised at all if this misses this year. Just now that you mentioned that, uh, we did have a Kickstarter game that did uh, make our anticipated list of the AU then Chronicle rising. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, Sort of. It's sort like, of. not the game people kickstarted. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the prequel side game. It's like it's like the uh, uh, the bloodstained thing. thing. Yeah, the curse of the night. Like yeah. the concept uh, uh, that was its original form was like here's a little game 
before the main release. And in some, it's for some people that was the better game. <laughs> Curse well, of the Night. Well, I prefer playing that because it's more of the old school Castlevania yeah. free sort of thing, right? Yeah. I never, I never played the sequel. I, I, I need to get around to that. Same here. Here's a game that we got to talk about very briefly before we uh, took our hiatus from the podcast last year. Uh, Omori is releasing for Nintendo Switch this spring as well. It originally released in December of 2020. So it was kind of, you know, in that no man's land uh, for it would have been in contention for consideration this year. Or sorry, in our most recent 12 month. I feel uh, like this is the game I let down the most last year because like I was I had every intention of getting through it and like like personal life happened so i like I, I couldn't play it as much so like i i still want to get around to that game i just i ha- i haven't because i've been i've i've been stupidly obsessed with another eden at this point which is like oh, fuck i need to play other, other games and speaking of uh, kickstarter like omori was originally kickstarted in 2014 and yeah. then released on steam in late 2020 and then in the same indie world presentation as sea of stars in december of last year uh we got omori Switch's announcement for spring of 2022. All right, I think that covers it for Switch announcements. We did already talk about the Weird West delay. So Weird West was delayed. It was originally set to launch just in a couple days on January 11th, probably by the time you listen to this, already past that date. But it was delayed to March 31st. We kind of already went over that. And the last thing here is that we're talking about Aniplex of America is going to release Disney Twisted Wonderland on January 20th for mobile devices. Uh, Josh, you know what this is? I don't know what this This is. This is a really interesting release. This is imagine if Disney's villains were reimagined as hot anime boys. All boys. So like all boys, like the three hyenas. Like Maleficent is a hot boy now. Yeah, he's the, they're a hot boy. The three hyenas, there's three different hot boys for them. Ursula, hot boy. I will say, if you say Disney villain, hyena might be like 50th on the list, 60th. Uh-huh. What about Pete? Can we talk about Pete? What is Pete in this? I, I, the, like the, the site has like the, the, the designs for them, so if you want to check out what they look like. Like Scar is really funny Like as a hot anime boy. He's like he's like he's like that 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 uh, super tan bad boy attitude <laughs> hot anime boy <laughs> thing. So I know this is very very popular for some of my friends. Um, this is like I don't know how it is doing in Japan now, but like out of the gate, like for the first year in Japan, it was like very very popular. I don't know if it's maintained that popularity in Japan, but I, it was one of those games. Was like I don't think this will. Will Disney allow this to be like localized in the West or see a Western release? And like I guess so. Like it's fine with them. So. That, this is what I guess I'll like look into as like a curiosity when it comes out on January twentieth because like I don't really know much about it at all outside, aside from hot anime boy Disney villains. That's all I know. It's just so weird to like watch this trailer and it's like Disney's logo followed by Aniplex followed by everything else. Yep. <laughs> So but is this all boys? Is there no girls in this at that, all? From my, from my understanding, there's no girls. It's all hot anime boys. That's my understanding on it. Pretty much like a mobile Ultimate game. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, know. I don't. I don't. I don't know if like your player character is like the female. I don't know. It's like where's my Elsa? Where's my Elsa? Hot <laughs> anime boy. Hot anime boy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chow, you to like hot anime boys. <laughs> 
Not for me, man. Not for me. Sorry. I get, I didn't realize this has been out in Japan since March of 2020. So right when the pandemic yeah. started is when this released in Japan. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just noting noting the. Well, I guess the pandemic was earlier than that. But like, March. I, I'm just checking the character it. list. It's like they don't have the main character. It's just all the side characters. Like I, I, looking... I, I don't know if there's like a main character person. That's the thing. I don't know if like there's like an actual player character. All I, I got, like I said, all I really know about is there's a lot of hot anime boys. I just look like at the I'm... Alice in Wonderland roster, and I don't see Alice, and it's every side character. Yeah, it's just, it's just Disney villains. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many like, times have we said "hot anime boy" in the last two minutes? I will. I will not stop saying "hot anime boys." With the, uh, the well, I guess that's the title <laughs> of today. <laughs> that's okay, if you made it to the end oh, and no. you're wondering where our title came from, uh, congratulations. Or maybe I gave it away. The game. Yeah, that was our last topic for the day. So, uh, <laughs> a lot to go through from stuff that we had missed from our last regular podcast. All the uh, end of the year financial reports from all the studios, some of the release date changes, some of the sales updates. Uh, couple studio letters to dig through and all and everything else going through all the features up on our site on our end so uh obviously it just came out on our podcast services a couple days ago we do have our full deliberations for everything that we decided for 2021 so if you see something on the list and you're wondering where's east nine or where's pathfinder or how in the world did fantasian win or why is noja here things like that then give that a listen because we had a lot of very fun, very enlightening, very spirited conversations and discussions basically about all of that. And some of the stuff in the commendations for those ended up being like, we obviously only report kind of a winner for each of those categories, but there's some like really close races there as well. Like we had some runners up that we don't recognize that could have easily taken those spots as well, which you won't get unless you listen to that podcast. Not and then, of course, like uploading them to the services. Nope, they all, even Spotify worked. Yeah, if you've been listening to this podcast on Spotify and you've been upset that it keeps cutting short, that has been a back and forth between me and some of the site admins for a few months now because it we it was only Spotify and we couldn't identify the reason it's why. Uh, I don't know if that, the proof that it worked with a six and a half hour one is like all right, we can rest easy now. So hopefully. Uh, hopefully you're able to listen to what I'm saying right now as I speak into the microphone because Spotify did not cut this podcast short. Uh, if not, then I will have to uh, you know, deal with that and just keep poking until it gets fixed. Uh, but again, uh, thank you so much for listening. Before I start the, like, the close-up spiel, uh, do you guys have any like closing thoughts about as we go into a new year of the Tetracast, a new year of RPGs, uh, 2022? Uh, I don't know, just Adam? Just, just, to, just to hand it off to someone. <laughs> <laughs> just to hand it off someone. Uh, I, I just thought you all start speaking at the same time and be like, yeah, I'm excited. I don't know. I don't know why this is the first thing that came to my head, but I'm really interested in Triangle Strategy, but I don't want to play it on Switch. And I know Bravely Default came out six months later on PC, so I'm going to be like, it's going to release, and there's going to be like temptation everywhere for me to buy it. I'm going to be like, no, I have to wait <laughs> for PC. <laughs> it's going to be hard. I don't well, know, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interested. I'm really excited about I'm interested in the Noja PC release. I, I kind of, you know, just mentioned it just now talking about the podcast for the game of the year. But now that we know it's getting a PC release, I and I have heard so many good things about it in our discussions. I'm interested in trying that out. So. Um, man, well, well, there's there's a there's a bunch of titles I'm interested in. Obviously, Elden Ring this year, Relayer, um, and Sunbreak. Like, I'm wondering how many hours Sunbreak is going to burn off of my life <laughs> when it releases this summer. Yeah, yeah. 
I just hope that the Showa comes out in time. I want to play that. Yeah, the Showa American Story. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're going to close out with that. Showa American Story. Imagine by, when we get to our fucking top 10 of 2022, it's like Showa American Stories on it. It's like, what the fuck? Best art. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it would win. Or design and immersion. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was very averse to being uh, <laughs> well, Japanese America vibrant thing alternate. All right. So uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us through the years. We've been uh, we're on a good streak here with the podcast. And we know a few people have been wondering uh, when we'd be back. So here we are. Hopefully you enjoyed listening. Uh, all the usual things. We have our Discord really readily available at discord.gg slash RPG site to talk about all the upcoming releases for the year. Our usual social channels on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube <sighs> at RPG site. Uh, and we do we will be posting uh basically some of our results kind of piecemeal to our twitter page ac- uh, across this week but obviously we do have the full write-ups on the site and the uh the podcast that i just mentioned and we plan to be back here weekly so uh let us know what you think if you have any comments we love reading those even if they're not positive we'll we'll, re- we'll read everything well you know we've got thick skin we can handle it but uh, we're interested in knowing what you think you know what, what we can change or improve for you guys uh but other than that you'll hear from us next week and as it goes without saying that 2022, I'm still going to ask you all to stay safe and take care because things are not honestly any better. So take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Hot anime, boys.